Hello and welcome to the Weird Geeks Movie Channel and our Star Wars Retrospective Podcast, where every Wednesday and every Saturday we'll be covering a new installment in the classic franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. Go to weirdgeeks.com to check out our other podcast series, Twitch streams, contact details, and news on our very own feature films that are currently in production for our publisher, We Are Tessellate. Weird Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Hello and welcome back to the We Are Geek Star Wars Retrospective Podcast, where every single week we're taking you through another installment in the Star Wars films, or cinematic films I should say, in the lead up to The Last Jedi this December 2017. I'm your host, Rolver Al White, and joining me on this journey, Alexander Chard. Hello. And Christina Masterson. Good morning. Good morning for you. <laughs> That's true. It's a balmy afternoon here in london good morning to some of you it is so fucking cold it's one of those things like, i like to have a window cracked open when i'm going to sleep because i like a breeze and fresh air but i wake up just like you know you just wake up and you pull the duvet over your head because you're so cold <laughs> you probably won't remember that emotion yeah we don't remember because there's there's another heat wave <laughs> coming on monday yeah it's about it's gonna be a hundred degrees, degrees. <laughs> What? Oh yeah, today it's is Monday. Christmas, guys. Get with it. Today is Monday. <laughs> Spoilers, it's Monday. All right. So, we are going to be dealing with 1999's The Phantom Menace. Before we get into it properly, because we're going to do our normal thing, we're going to get through the top 20 films of the year. Uh, but I wanted to kind of clarify the order that we're doing these, which I think we mentioned briefly at the top of these series. But Alex, yes. There are many ways, aren't there, to do the Star Wars series. And we discussed how to do this when we first wanted to uh, do the show. Mm-hmm. And we decided to do them in release order. Yep, which I think is fair. We're doing 10 films because we decided to do cinematic films only. So they have to have like been at a cinema. Now, I appreciate it. even Star Wars, the holiday special, has probably been shown at a cinema at some point. But I'm feeling only ones that were properly theatrically released at some point is what we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. But we're about to go backwards in time to the prequels, so I thought we should quickly just map out for our listeners' benefit, clarification, but also slightly for Christina's benefit, because it's going to start getting complicated from here on out. It's been a simple ride up until now. What? But things are going to get goofy. <laughs> so I'm going to map out for you quickly now all of the Star Wars films so far as the 2017 in order, so you understand the actual chronological... chronological order of the films okay and alex yes jump in if i do anything wrong here because i've tried to do my research but some people are unsure about certain things okay so what we're going to be reviewing today is the first star wars film so it's star wars episode one phantom menace then we do again star wars episode two attack of the clones then technically after that two things called star wars the clone wars there's a mini series uh, which was 2D animation actually handled by the guy who did Samurai Jack which was called The Clone Wars and then they later on turned it into a CGI show that went on for five seasons and was highly acclaimed like very highly acclaimed but that was all started off by a movie called Star Wars The Clone Wars uh, which was a pre- basically a precursor to the CGI animated show that one we will be reviewing because it is 
it was released theatrically for a brief amount of time. Then we get into Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Then we get into another TV show called Star Wars Rebels, which is also CGI-based. And I'm a croak with that, right? That came after Revenge of the Sith chronologically, I think, Alex? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. In both the Clone Wars TV show and Rebels, they bring back Darth Maul, but we'll be getting to that. And then I believe, and people are still unsure about this, but they've just clarified that the new Star Wars film, Han Solo, just called Solo, because they're so smart, takes place 10 years prior to A New Hope. So I'm guessing that's the next one, because that would make it just before Rogue One. Yep. Okay. I just look at you and you say, yes, (laughs) the nod of assurance. (laughs) Then we get into Star Wars Rogue One. Then we have to get into the original Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Technically, but it's not canon, but Star Wars A Christmas Story would occur sometime around that point as well. Mm. Then Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Then you'd actually get two things that we're not covering, but for you, Christina, as extra homework, you might enjoy it at some point in the future. A film called Caravan of Courage and Ewok Adventure. And then Ewoks, The Battle for Endor. These are two feature-length Ewok <laughs> movies made for TV. Oh, Can you man. even get those anywhere? <laughs> I don't know, man. They've got to be online somewhere. They came out after the Ewok animated show, but they were actually released after Return of the Jedi, but they were set before Return of the Jedi. So they're like prequels of the Ewok story before we join them. And Wicket is in it and still played by, what's his name? Uh, Warwick, Warwick Davis. Davis. So it is, you know, I mean, are they still considered as canon by Disney or have they outruled them? Don't know. I think people just don't mention them. So they just, <laughs> so they're not. They don't acknowledge the Ewok movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we get into something a little simpler, which is the new film, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of Jedi, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force, nope, what am I doing? The wrong way around, Force Awakens, Return of Jedi. No, fuck me. Uh, then we get into Return of Jedi, then we get into Seven Force Awakens, and then we get into Eight, The Last Jedi. So it gets simpler again after that. But it's a real, it's a fucking hot mess <laughs> how they did these movies. And something I'd forgotten is when the movie we're talking about today, Phantom Menace, first came out in 99, people weren't really doing prequels at this point. People didn't really know what a prequel was. There had been prequels out before, but they'd never been defined in the kind of way that this movie really set the i'm not going to say standard but it set the structure for what a prequel is now expected to do which is basically fill in all the gaps and Mm -hmm. tie up all of those loose ends whether you wanted it to or not (laughs) that's what prequels now are expected to kind of do yeah and i hadn't really appreciated it before the phantom menace this happened much yes i was reading up about these prequels i don't know if you were going to get into this but george lucas had in initially had intended to do a sequel trilogy uh to the original trilogy but by the end of return of the jedi he had felt i think he said he had felt completely burnt out and wasn't prepared to to do any more star wars stuff and then in the early 90s there was like another kind of rise of star wars popularity because of the dark horse comics and this sort of expansion of the extended universe content that was available and then George Lucas, who had always been fascinated by the backstory, which he purely kind of developed as a means of developing the original trilogy, felt that that was the story he wanted to tell. People needed to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> what he had as a kind of writing tool, he decided to create. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, but I mean, it's been 16 years. I remember at the time, because none of us, well, I was... Like I say, the Return Jedi was the first film I went to see at cinemas, but I wasn't, you know, cogently 
of a good age to be in the original Star Wars, you know, era. I was definitely like, we're all definitely in the next generation on from the original Star Wars era. And it was, I remember when these films you know, first started coming out and the trailer started coming out, it felt like, because it was before you were born, basically, it felt like it must have been ages, but it was only 16 years, which is a while, but it's not. I mean, it's a long time for a sequel to come out, but I don't know why in my head it felt like it must have been, that's just me. Yeah, no, I, I remember feeling really excited to sort of have my first experience seeing a new Star Wars film in the theatre. Prior to this one coming out, they, they re-released all the originals theatrically. And I went with my brother to see, I can't remember which one we went and saw, but he's a few years older than me, so he had experienced the original trilogy in the theatres growing up. So to have that experience and share that with him was, was really awesome. And then so it really got me kind of, oh yeah, I was so, so excited uh, prior to The Phantom Menace coming out. Yeah, it's hard to impress upon people just how the zeitgeist was for this at the time. Like, it was. I don't know if I've ever known hype like it was for The Phantom Menace when it was coming out. People were so incredibly excited. And I remember just, yeah, the toys, the costumes everywhere. Even after the film, even with some people disappointed, some people loved it. Very hard to tell at that point because excitement was so high. It was hard to really know what you really thought about it. And Mm -hmm. I went to, like, we had some friends of ours who had a kid's party and everyone was in Star Wars fancy dress and I had to dress up as Kwai-Jong Jin and run around like I was a pod for the kids to race upon and stuff like that and it was just so heavily baked into everything everywhere you went it was the phantom menace like everywhere christina you've never seen this film before but were you <laughs> aware of it when it came out no no <laughs> I even know it existed. no i never growing up i never watched any of these films i mean obviously as we all know now I never was able to go to a theater and watch any of these or I mean, and I didn't watch them at home. So I never really had that experience. Uh, The first one that I and kind of really the only one that I've ever seen was The Force Awakens. And I got Mm -hmm. to see that in the theaters. But that was 2015. Out of interest, like, oh, actually, no, you probably want to just don't want to disclose, but I'm just interested, like how you weren't really aware of the Phantom Menace when it was coming out. That's like fascinating to me. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I really, I don't know why. You, those were your why it years, skipped so. me in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could completely understand not wanting to go see it, but it was just like it was on every, you know, every fast food joint, every advert. Like it just had licensing on everything. I've never seen it that deep. It was crazy. I also have really bad memory of my youth and childhood. Right. Okay. So, I mean, I just can't remember it. I just can't remember anything. (laughs) I just can't remember. Probably for for healthy reasons. (laughs) Yeah, I remember exactly where I was when this came out. Like, I remember the trailers, and it was really the beginning of the internet at that point, like the public internet in 99, and it was starting to get more outreaching, and you could start to see things like trailers. But, you know, you really still had to go into the cinemas to see this stuff. And there are stories... Oh, where is it? I've got some facts here somewhere. Yeah, during the first week of the first trailer's release, theaters were reporting 75% of audience paid full price to go see a movie and then just walked out after the Phantom Menace trailer had finished because that's all they were paying to go and see. Because that was the only way you could do wow. it. Like, the wasn't quite there yet. It was such a big deal. And I, I was actually in America when I saw it for the first time. So I got to see it before it came out in England uh, by quite a few months. And it was the summer. Was it the summer? It was May, wasn't it? I think of the Blair Witch Project came out, which... Okay, I remember that. So it came out during the same year? <laughs> yep. I definitely went to the theater and watched that. 
I'm going to be talking about that actually on, uh, what is it? It's going to be episode 83, I think, this week's Geeks podcast because we're talking about Halloween movies. But yeah, I've got a good story from the same summer of this. Uh, and then the South Park movie came out as well. And the trailer for the South Park movie purposely riffed on the Phantom Menace trailer, even though that's all they had seen. Like no one had seen anything else of the movie. <laughs> yeah, and I remember being in America going to see this film and just being through the roof excited. I think I saw this and South Park actually because they released like the same week in a double bill. Which is pretty fun. Pretty fun. Yeah, I went and saw it uh, with my friend uh, Nick, who I mentioned in the first podcast, because him and I would quote Star Wars lines in class and alienate ourselves from other people. (laughs) (laughs) So I went and saw it with him and uh, two other friends, Kate and Julia. And I think either Kate or Julia bought brought packed sandwiches (laughs) to the film. Do you remember what kind of sandwiches? This is important. No, I don't. I just remember being like, what? Sandwiches? I had my popcorn in my <laughs> in my Coke, so. <laughs> so you were all set. <laughs> yeah, well, there were a bunch of different directors who were considered to make this movie. Uh, Ron Howard was considered at one point. Look how that turned out full circle, because he's now come, stepped in to <laughs> finish the solo movie. Robert Zemeckis was considered to be shooting, and Steven Spielberg, uh, once again. They're all approached to direct, but for different reasons, did not. And Lucas ended up directing and returning for the first time. It was his first time directing a feature film since A New Hope. And he made a similar deal to what he did with the first film. Tell me if this sounds like a good deal to you, because to me, it sounds like a really shitty deal and very heavily weighed in his favor. He would forgo his salary as a director, provided that he continued to own the entire negative of the final cut of the film, 100% rights over the property and all ancillary rights to toys and commercial tie-ins. (laughs) <laughs> like that seems Love like a, a pretty yeah it's like how much were they gonna pay him as director because <laughs> that's literally probably billions of dollars that you're signing Jeez. over there. and he took the core plot of the movie as you said alex he kind of returned to some of his, of his original kind of sketchbook ideas and he actually took the core plot of the movie from his first draft of star wars one or star wars a new hope i should say from 1975 he had written his original draft for a new hope and then he changed it for when they actually made the movie and he went back to it to basically take the court plot for this for this film okay uh i want to get into some more facts but before we do christina my favorite bit of every every episode's podcast can you run us through the top 20 films in 1999 so we can get a little bit of landscape going on i would love to oh thank you (laughs) I can't find them. <laughs> I've been looking for them this whole time. <laughs> did you email them to me or did you text or did you message to me last they time? They were on the document from the Return of the Jedi ones. It was all together. But I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm on a different. So just to uh, fill this space while we sort out <laughs> our mini technical issues. Hey, this is professionalism right here. We may address this again later towards the end. But I just was reminded of it when you started talking about the chronological order of the films, Al. Mm. And my housemate Carter reminded me of this, but there's, if you search the internet, there's a few different postings that people have put together of alternative ways to watch the Star Wars saga. And that just focuses on the original trilogy and the prequels, not the new ones yet, or the like Clone Wars and the ones in between. Yeah, and people have come up with alternative ways to watch it, which they feel either rounds the story more or gives you, like, more insight 
into the arc and like gives a much clearer arc than George Lucas presented. And one of them that I'm looking is called the Machete Order. What? And that one actually The negates, Machete? Yeah. Negate negates negates uh takes Phantom Menace out of the mix completely. Oh. <laughs> and it has has you watch it watch a new hope, Empire Strikes Back, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and then Return of the Jedi. Interesting. But yeah, go online. You can look up different orders and people's people's reasonings as to why. Is that did Robert Rodriguez that do that one? We say machete. <laughs> yeah, I just get machete. <laughs> right. Thank you very much, Alex. Christina, can you take us through the top twenty films of nineteen ninety nine, please? <laughs> yes. Number twenty. The ha- twenty. Number twenty. The haunting. <laughs> Uh, number 2020. I, I can't talk this morning. It's too early in the morning for you. I don't remember much about The Haunting. That was part of that. Like, they did House on Haunted Hill. Then they remade that. They remade The Haunting. Then they did, like, 13 Ghosts and stuff. I think it was part of that little batch of very PC uh, horror movies. Yeah. Okay. 19. Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. No comment? Like, any feel, I, I mean, it's Tim Burton for me when he had already fallen off the wagon. This was like, this was okay, I felt. Some people really loved this movie a lot. But Christina uh, Ritchie, Johnny Depp? Yep. Well, it's Tim yeah. Burton, so mm. Johnny Depp's a given. But yeah. Yeah. 18, Inspector Gadget. <laughs> Matthew Broderick. Yeah, I never liked this movie. <laughs> I, I didn't like this movie, but I liked Inspector Gadget, the cartoon show. 17, awesome. American Pie. There we go. I watched Mar- that one. It's a classic. Oh, you watched American Pie? <laughs> <laughs> 16, The General's Daughter. No, I don't think this is. No idea. 15, Analyze This. Did this have a sequel called Analyze That? That. Yeah. It really did. That's not just my imagination. That's what I That's true. <laughs> oh. 14. What? The next one. <laughs> Whoa. That was a bit premature, Al. I know, I just didn't what it was. Wild Wild West. And there it is. <laughs> this I don't know is if the... it was worth that scream. <laughs> yeah. Wawa. Uh, I hate this film so much. But this is the film. We watched, did we watch this in... Um, or did we not get around to this one? I can't remember. when we're... No, we did the print story, didn't we? The Kevin Smith print story when we were in France. Uh, there's a great Kevin Smith story about Wild Wild West. If you listen to him talking about him writing Superman and the producer... Yeah, just just being obsessed with big spiders, mm. and then he went off and made this Wild Wild West movie and just put a big spider in the end of it for no reason. <laughs> Fucking terrible movie. <laughs> terrible movie. Moving on, number 13, Double Jeopardy. Sure. 12, Notting Hill. I used to live in Notting Hill. I'm right down the road from it right now. Uh, it's very quaint. Really? Just like the movie. Does the movie do do it justice? It's just exactly the same. We're all just bumbling um, nerds and book readers and naked Welshmen. (laughs) Can't complain. Perfect. 11. The world is not enough. Oh, we're still getting... Oh, yeah. I I always forget about this era of Bond movies completely. Pierce Brosnan. Was this the one that was, like, set in the North Pole? It was awful. I'm I'm really bad with my Bond movies. I've seen many of them, but I don't recollect any of them because I just don't care. Number 10, The Blair Witch Project. I definitely saw that one. And this was, so it's interesting, I came in at number 10 that year, considering this movie uh, was the biggest 
independent movie of all time. It took over from Halloween. Uh, it's making more money than any independent movie up until that point. Yeah. I Paramount think Activity it was a little... would knock that off later, but yeah. Hmm. Number nine, Runaway Bride. Katie has the soundtrack to this, and her and her mum used to listen to it a lot. That's all I really <laughs> know about this movie. That's two Julia Roberts films in the top 20. Yeah, this is I really... definitely watched Runaway Bride. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. I don't like Julia Roberts <laughs> and her <laughs> stupid smile. All right, it's settle so down. <laughs> big and pretty. With she was America's princess. Jeez, God. <laughs> was. <laughs> Number eight, The Mummy. Mm. Yeah, I don't like this film either. Seven, Big Daddy. Oh, that's the uh, uh, Adam Sandler. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up hating Adam Sandler. And then when I was about 26 or something like 27, I suddenly decided, you know what? I'm going to try Adam Sandler movies. And I watched all of them up until that point over two weeks. <laughs> and Big Daddy was about the only one. I was like, oh, that's all right. Because <laughs> the rest was so bad <laughs> that Big Daddy seemed really good <laughs> compared to it. It's like a remake of a really classic like 1940s film or something weird. Number six. <laughs> Tarzan! <laughs> Tarzan. Oh, the Disney Tarzan. Don't stop your crying. It'll be all right. <laughs> oh, man. Tarzan was like, when they didn't know really what to do, and they thought, can we do a musical, but where it's not a musical? So they still had Phil Collins write songs, but then it wasn't the characters singing it. So it was kind of weird. Was it just Phil Collins seeing it in the background in the jungle? Well, they would get like, yeah, yeah. It would kind of go from his gorilla mum singing like the first two lines of her lullaby and then Phil Collins would come in and sing the rest. Oh, God. <laughs> it's really weird. I can't like that film. Number five. The Matrix. Oh. Whoa. Only number five. Only five. Wow. That's surprising. That really is surprising. Well, actually, depends what's coming next. But yeah. Next is number four, Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. Oh, my God. That was an That's era, no- movie, <laughs> wasn't it? That was an era, yeah. The second one, apparently, I remember at the time, because the first one, the second one made like three times more money than the first one. It was so wow. astronomically bigger than the first one. But I think it's just because it hit that international audience and Americans, you know, I think they probably went back to the first one on DVD at that point or whatever. But How many did they have? Only three. Three. Wasn't it? Yeah, because oh. then there was the golden, was it? The gold member. Gold <laughs> That was really bad. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, yeah. I still, I tell you what, as much as I'm not a big Austin Powers fan, I still reference it whenever I get my car stuck in a tight spot. <laughs> Remember that bit where they got like the little go-kart thing in the corridor and you cut back to them and they've got it like vertical <laughs> to the horizontal of the corridor and they just can't get out and they're doing a hundred point turn? Classic. Classic. Number three. Toy Story 2. Ah, there we go. I definitely watched Toy Story. And this was the beginning of then of the CGI animated era, I guess. This really kicked all of that off because then Shrek came and then then 2D animators were out of business. (laughs) Yeah. Number two. The Sixth Sense. Ooh, Ooh. horror film at number two. That's nice to see. Uh, yeah, great. No. One. Yeah, that was a good. Film. The beginning of the end for M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> the beginning. It was his. Well, it wasn't his first movie, but it was his first proper <laughs> no. movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> How 
is all downhill sir. from that point. <laughs> no! Unbreakable is better. Signs is fantastic. I quite like the lady in the water. Just got the perfect reaction. And of course, number one. <laughs> Don't get me angry. <laughs> or I'll start calling. Guys, calm what? down. Shut number one. Star Wars episode one. The Phantom Man. Yet again, another number one film of the year. So, so far, Unbreakable. Always wow. number one film. That's insane. Yeah, it made a ton of money. It made $115 million, which by nowadays standards... Sorry, what am I talking about? It made a billion dollars. It was budgeted at $115 million, which by nowadays standards isn't as much as you might expect for this kind of movie. 115 is fell in the low end of a huge, huge movie. Uh, but yeah, it made $1 billion. Which in those days, films didn't make a billion. Nowadays, nearly every Marvel movie eventually will rack up to a billion dollars. But, but no, didn't really happen that often in those days. Yeah, it came out in 1999. It's two hours, 16 minutes long. The longest Star Wars movie up until this point. It took another couple of months before it came out in the UK. It's currently credited. I'm going to start getting into this because we haven't yet. But it's got a 6.5 on IMDb, which is fairly strong. Movies normally start out high on IMDb and then pull down low 6.5. To sevens is a decent, it's like it's, it's a very, very good score on IMDb. Yeah, and directed and written by Jules Lucas. No one else helping on this one. All about. I'll do it by myself. <laughs> all about the little hamster. That's <laughs> all in his corner. All right. Anything else I want to say before we start? No, I don't think so. Alex, you know what? Let's just get into the fucking movie, shall we? Let's do this. Take us through, please. The Phantom Menace. Okay. Do you want to mention the cast or anything, or just as we as we go along? Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. My bad. I had that all ready to go. So we've got Liam Neeson, who's playing Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, we've got Ewan McGregor is stepping in as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Natalie Portman is playing Queen Amidala, or Padme. Jake Lloyd is playing Anakin Skywalker. Ian McDermott is playing Senator Palpatine. Vanilla August is playing Shmi Skywalker. And then we've got loads of people, which we can maybe get into, but we do have the return of Frank Oz as the voice of Yoda. We've got Anthony Daniels, the C-3PO again. Who else have we got? Terrence Stamp is in this as Chancellor Valerum. Maybe we'll get into some other people as we get to the main ones yeah. on it. Did anyone else return? Don't think so. No. Not like I see. Oh, and of course, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, um, Warwick Davis is in there. Oh, is he re- oh yeah, he is in there, technically. Yep. He is in there, yes, yes, yes. Yep. Sophia Coppola is actually in here as well. Uh, and we do actually have, uh, and we'll be talking about this when we get to it, the uh, very first proper appearance of Kira Knightley, who true, yeah, we'll yeah. get to it when we get to it. All right. Christina, you're shaking okay. your head. What's going I on? I did not see her. That's right. Oh, yeah, we'll get to it. Ah. <laughs> Whoa. She George was Lucas's magic worked on you. What? Alex, do we start? So, All I want to know is, he fought before. Let's keep actors' names out. It's the big return of Phantom Menace. Everyone's crazy excited, but you know what we wanted. We all just wanted Lucasfilm to come up, the twinkly sounds, and then the fucking bam of the Star Wars. Do we still get it? Is it the same? Do we get our crawl? We still get the opening we want. The that it can't go wrong. Star Lucasfilm, the uh, 20th Century Fox fanfare, and then boom, Star Wars... Episode 1, Phantom Menace, with the opening crawl. People were cheering in my cinema as soon as that happened, literally. Everyone was just, like, going crazy. Yeah, I remember that, too. People going bananas for that. Um, I didn't write down the opening crawl, so watch the film and read it. Well, I only have one note from the opening crawl, uh, which is that taxation is the second sentence. (laughs) 
There you go. <laughs> Which for me sets up many things to do with these prequels. Uh, we're in the opening crawl and we're immediately getting into taxation and politics. Uh, which, yeah, is, is a strange thing to be having. Normally they just do a simple little setup. Here are the, here, the sort of adventures our heroes have been on. And here's the adventure yep. they're currently on. Because we're normally joining them in the middle of an adventure. Um, and I guess we yep. are here as well, I suppose. But I don't set that up very well in the crawl. Yeah, it's, it's, it's much broader, isn't it? The sort of about what's it's sort of catching us up more on what's happening in the galactic republic yeah and the turmoil it's currently in yeah so yeah we find out from that opening crawl that in the galactic republic the trade federation uh which controlled several trade routes through the galaxy has like put a blockade on several systems and so the republic and the senate sends two jedis to negotiate with the trade federation so after the opening crawl, we pan down on a big sort of like round satellite uh, star command ship thing. <laughs> <laughs> Not to get too technical. Not to get too technical. We see a ship land on it and we have two Jedis that are sent there. Qui-Gon Jinn, we see for the first time, and his Padawan, a new word we learn in these mm. prequels, which is like mm. the Jedi apprentice. The Padawan. Uh, uh, Sorry, I was going to say, yeah, we learned in Return of the Jedi, I guess, that the Sith, well, they weren't called the Sith. Were, were they called the Sith in Return of the Jedi? I don't know if they use the word Sith. But they do make a no. clear point of there's always two, like there's the apprentice yeah. and the master. So I guess they're just trying to echo that now with the Jedis. There's always two. They come mm -hmm. in pairs. Yeah. And we'll get, we'll get to pairs later in this movie as well. But yeah, we get Qui-Gon Jinn and, and everyone can over. Qui-Gon Jinn, who's played by Liam Neeson, as we said, uh, just some of the names who were up to play that you might enjoy. Vin Diesel was up to play this role. <laughs> Tom Hanks. Kurt Russell. And then we also had Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington. But Liam Neeson was so eager to be in the Star Wars film that he signed on without even reading the script. Good job. Liam, we'll see how that worked out for you. <laughs> right. So yeah, Qui-Gon and his Padawan Obi-Wan enter this Trade Federation ship. We immediately cut to the Trade Viceroys who are co communicating with a Dark Lord. Who We don't know who this Dark Lord is yet. Uh, he's just in black robes and he's saying they're telling him that the plan has not worked. Now, first issue I have. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Immediately from the get-go, the trade viceroys have a very cringe-worthy, fake, Asian-type accent. All of the accents were so weird. Well, yeah, there's so well, many. That they were, were so into. bad. Mm -hmm. right. So that's a so okay. So I'm, I'm, like on, I'm on the right track, right? Totally. So I mean, the great thing about the original sequels is a lot of the aliens had their own languages and a lot of it was subtitled or it was mixed with english and like here mm -hmm. right from the get-go that is kind of abandoned and very kind of 
slightly yeah. like, racially insensitive yeah, accents. Very racial. I was watching it with my mum and she was just like, Isn't this really racist? It's <laughs> and I was so trying to stand up for it to begin with. I was like, Well, they're aliens, they have a strange accent. It's like and then the more no. you watch it, you're like, No, this is really fucking racist. It just <laughs> Although, gets worse. I mean, it's hard it's... because it's like when you take an accent away, because racism really is to do and not to get down this rabbit hole, but racism is to do with generalizations of a culture. And they're, they're mm. not an Asian culture, so I guess it can't technically be racist. But yeah. the accent, because you're not making it, it's not like that accent is attached to the same culture in any way. It's removed completely and put on an alien race. But it's fucking weird decision to make, for sure. Yeah. It just really didn't sound right. It didn't look right. It was didn't give you a good feeling. But I'll give oh, them one prop. Jedi straight. are here for negotiations. <laughs> oh, good. I was hoping someone was going to do it. <laughs> I'll give you. I'm going to give him props though for one thing straight off the bat for me because I'm still in a point right now where I'm in the mood. The music's played. I'm excited. It's looking okay. Me too. And these guys are actual people in suits. You know, they got puppet faces mm-hmm. and stuff or whatever. Like they are. They're real, and I'm kind of happy that we have new creatures that look real. Yeah. Yeah, no, so I'm totally with you. Other than the cringy accents, I'm actually still going back and watching this. I was still, like, into it at this point. I was like, oh, this is cool. This is, like, an interesting little setup that's happening. So see this out yeah, straight the- away. Look at it shaking. <laughs> so the Dark Lord that the uh, Trade Viceroy is communicating to tells him to kill the Jedi and to land their forces on Naboo, which is this planet that they're, that they're orbiting. So the viceroy who uh oh god i forgot their their species but qui-gon tells obi-wan they've got nothing to fear it'll be short negotiations and that these trade federation types are like cowards so they try to poison the jedi but the jedi are jedi and they escape and they get attacked by a bunch of security droids but they destroy them qui-gon and obi-wan escape up and ventilation shaft and then they notice battle droids getting ready for deployment to Naboo and they escape on the on those ships that are going to Naboo. We then cut right, for the first wait, time. Wait, 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 oh, wait, yeah. wait, wait. There's a lot in that scene, man. There's a lot. Because like, I mean, for starters, as soon as they come in, they very quickly, like, in the very first couple of sentences, you've got Ewan name-checking Obi-Wan, so we clearly, clearly know that this is like mm-hmm. a, you know, that this is our Obi-Wan. Um, they mentioned Yoda straight away in the first couple of There's all of these like little fan service things. Uh, Christina, as someone new to this, how are you feeling with Ewan being our Obi-Wan? Uh, did you feel that attached to him from the other ones? Did you give a shit? Like, is he... You know, honestly, those two, I was not attached to them. They just were kind of... I don't know. I don't know if it was like the connection between them two, but or it's just the lack of relationship that they showed. But it was just really, they just seemed really slow. Yeah, because I want to set up because this is like, sorry to dwindle too much on the beginning of this, but I feel we can then, you know, like it, it sets up so many things and there's so many expectations going into this movie. I'm a huge Ewan McGregor fan. I guess at this point he hadn't done Moulin Rouge, so America weren't so into him. But if you're from the UK, obviously Train Spotting and Shallow Grave. And all I stuff. love him. Yeah. And yeah. it pained me going back this time to realize immediately, oh, he's awful. Like he's just so flat from the off for me and his english accent that are getting him to do because he's you know he's scottish normally he's speaking a very Mm. posh english accent 
which he's trying. He's apparently he, he you know really researched to try and get it as close to Obi Wan as possible. Sounds completely off to me. He's doing like the iconic line of "I have a bad feeling about this" immediately in the first opening of this film, and it just sounds stupid. And they then they get into this lightsaber fight, and it's cool because it is like it's more animated, I guess. But it also I don't believe any of it. Like I don't believe. I think Liam Neeson's fine, but he's just not an interesting Mm-mm. character. Yeah, they just weren't. They just both weren't interesting. I expected more. I was yeah. excited to that you know to get to know them at this state in their lives and and they're great um, actors like both of them are great yeah actors. yeah that's so i don't know why why it came off that way it just seems bad bad directing like really Maybe. bad directing of yeah. actors and apparently i was really uh, reading up apparently ewan mcgregor whenever he did lightsaber fights uh in these films he would make the noise of the lightsaber while he's doing it. So they had to like post audio over the top to cover up for the noises he was doing. Oh man. Yeah, it's just, it's such a, I remember being in the cinema the first time seeing this and I still kind of felt the same way of like, oh my God, maybe this is actually going to be really good. And then just went, this, their acting just seems, it just seems there's no chemistry here. Yeah, it just just drops. It's just so dry straight off the bat. And I think you want so much from them, you know? You expect so much from them. Well, yeah, we're always joining into an adventure where people are having fun. And these are, yeah, they have the benefit here of we know these characters already, or we know one of these characters already. So we do feel an attachment. So you're off to a good start with us already. We're coming in liking Obi-Wan. So to immediately make me within a scene go, oh, I don't know if I like Obi-Wan anymore. That takes some work. That's really interesting. Like, I think was far more forgiving in this first part and kind of reflected my excitement from when I saw it, when I first saw it in the cinema way back when, in that I was still just, at this point, still just hooked on the excitement of seeing the Jedi, like, at the peak of their powers and seeing, like, Jedi's function and move around in a way that was dynamic and not, old people <laughs> yeah 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 you know what I mean? yeah well, so so when, they, when of... they're deflecting those laser beams it's really really cool like that that at the time was so exciting yeah and i think watching it this time going into it i had that same excitement and it just was still like i think had that sense of like mm, this isn't quite clicking in the same way but like still giving it a chance still being interested and then there's a very clear point where that shifts which we'll get to <laughs> But you just have these, like, really stupid writing and then delivery stupid as well. Like, at the end of that scene, you have Ewan McGregor turn and he does that line of, well, you were right about one thing, Master. The negotiations were short. <laughs> and it's just, it's like, yeah, yeah. Smart, and it's so stupid. <laughs> it's like Maybe it was the writing. It's a combination oh, of many combination. things. So, yeah, we'll get increasingly into that. But for sure, at this point, immediately to me, the writing's a problem and just the lack of chemistry is a problem with how the actors mm-hmm. are being directed. But- it's the energy too. Yeah, yeah. No one seems. I know how excited all these people were to be in this film, and no one feels excited. Yeah, That's it's weird. The like, and we'll get to it later on. But I feel in the new films coming out now, you can really sense the feverish excitement for people to be in a Star Wars movie. Um, and totally. in these, I'm not. I'm not getting it at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to talk about how that develops, oh, especially how you and McGregor's excitement develops. But oh yes, <laughs> across the films. So we cut down to Naboo, where we meet for the first time Queen Amidala, who's dressed in like 
regal costume with amazing makeup and big crazy hair and she believes she's with her like senators and people and she believes that the negotiations have gone to plan and she contacts the viceroy queen amidala speaks to senator palpatine but the communications are cut which sends everyone to a panic because it makes them realize that an invasion by the trade federation is imminent and they have no way of contacting the republic and the senate for help you looked, excited, you looked excited, Christine. <laughs> oh, is Kira Knightley her double? <laughs> well, well you know, it. the undercover. Yeah, we'll get to it. But basically, any. What do you mean? Just tell me now. <laughs> <laughs> she isn't yet. She isn't in it yet. She isn't yet. Yeah. She's what? She's not yet. But for a lot of the movie, I know, but... the queen is played by Kira Knightley for a lot okay. of the movie. Okay, 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 okay. Um, and she was 12 years old at the time, and her parents didn't want her to go into casting for it, but she really fought to get to go and do it. Wow. How, do, do, you, do you know how old uh, Natalie Portman was in this one? Yeah, she was, uh, I've written down. She like 16? Yeah, she was something like 16. Okay. I'll have to double check that, but yeah. I, I remember very implicitly the very first time watching this movie. And I really want to get into this because I want to know how clear it's meant to be to the audience. But because they introduce this, uh, what do we call him, the Sith Emperor, what, what, what's he called? Darth Sidious. Darth Sidious. Because they introduce him uh, standing in front of some people talking to them. Uh, it's the first time, isn't it, that he's introduced in, the, in this scene? Yeah, right at the start with the Viceroys, yeah. Yeah. And then they introduce Palpatine standing in front of people talking to each other. And they're clearly the same person. I remember the first time in cinemas just immediately just being, well, clearly these are the two same people. Like, it's straight away and assuming that's what they wanted you to believe. Is it what they want you to believe straight away here at the beginning? Or are they trying to, like, play with us? Or... Well, I, yeah, I had to remember having a kind of, yeah, not knowing how it was meant to be played at the time. I remember having these conversations with my friend Nick because... Did you have other friends, Alex? This is important for me to Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you go into the movie knowing that Palpatine is going to eventually become the Emperor. And then you clearly also see, like, you don't know that the Dark Lord is called Darth Sidious at this point, but from, like, all the promotion leading up to it, you knew that it was Darth Sidious. And I remember at that point, like, thinking, okay, they are the same people, but are they not? Like, yeah, not knowing what line they were playing. Like, were we meant to know? Were we so, were we meant to be confused? Was it meant to, like, be... It's not clear. It's so, it's so weird. And they, they pull his hood so over his face, like you feel like, oh, they're trying to pull something on me. But I don't know what they're trying to pull because it's clearly the same actor. Like, it's so baffling yeah. to me in 99, just as it is now in 2017. Like, uh, Christina, could you not, like, did you not I'm, have this I'm confused. I'm still confused. But, like, because they both, it's exactly the same. They talk the same. They don't even do anything with his voice. And they have exactly the same chin, and it's a very specific chin, like, mouth combo mm -hmm. that he's got going on there. And then they edit it almost scene to scene, like, in the same position. So it's like, I just, I don't understand what they're trying to do. But Yeah, right. Christina, did you put that together, that Senator Palpatine, who we sort of briefly meet through the comms link with Queen Amidala, is mm -hmm. Palpatine who becomes the Emperor? 
and that the, there's the Dark Lord and that they could be the same person? Like, how did that all click for you coming in sort of fresh? It just clicked now. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, okay, no, no, then great. Maybe that's it. Then great. Maybe if you're not, like, if you don't, you know. I thought they looked similar, but I didn't think that Spoilers for you for a film we haven't got to yet. (laughs) But yes, okay. But you know, most of the time when I'm watching Star Wars, I'm a little confused Mm. during the during everything. (laughs) That's fine, particularly. And usually, when we do these podcasts, things clear up for me. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad we're here. We have a purpose. So I guess maybe like yeah, coming into it new. Maybe it um, works for people. Maybe it works. Yeah. And you guys have watched it multiple times. I mean, for me, it was very obvious, but I think I was paying a lot of attention that first time, you know, because I was so excited about it. So for me, it's it, you're immediately trying to see, well, what are the twists going to be? And that was just one that was mm-hmm. so obvious. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand it. But anyway, well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So okay. we uh, jump back. We're still on Naboo and the Trade Federation begin landing on Naboo and they're like driving their big transports through forests all these animals are running to try and escape and we catch Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan also running from the big transports Um, at this point Qui-Gon suddenly runs into a local Gungan uh, who's clumsily like looking around doesn't know where to go and he's about to get hit by a transport and Qui-Gon grabs him and saves his life and that's when we get our first introduction could have stopped it there could have just let him why right there why did you make me watch this movie (laughs) Uh, and at this point this is when i when i kept my interest it very quickly my stomach started to turn (laughs) uh jar jar binks is a completely uh cg character Mm, and talking about accents again has a very has a sort of uh Creole pigeon English style accent, mm-hmm. which is also kind of borderline offensive. Yeah. Uh, and just and incredibly annoying. <laughs> so yes, annoying. So, had you heard of Jar Jar Binks before, Christina? Yeah, I remember that name. Okay. I kind of yeah, remember him, but he, he's become. I mean, famous. I've never seen him in this. Uh, yeah. I've never seen it like this, you know. Yeah, I didn't. Re- I I didn't really know, but now <laughs> didn't I know. know what was going to happen. No. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. Now I know. No, I was just going to say another part that, right from the get-go of his introduction, that that really irritated me, and then irritated me throughout every scene that he was in, is that the actor's eye line with him is never right. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I felt like frustratingly so. Yes. Well. Okay, let's get into this very quickly now then. So, this film, we the do next a whole one... podcast on Jar Jar. <laughs> the next one that we'll be looking at and watching and then talking about on the next episode is when they fully got into... It was actually the first fully digital, uh, huge feature film. This one was obviously... Uh, there was still film involved here, but it was almost entirely shot on green screen rooms. Um, sets they mm. would build to basically head height and then extend everything with CGI... Apparently, they spent an extra $300,000 on production costs just because Liam Neeson was so tall. So they had to build sets slightly higher than they wanted to. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, it's 
Whereas in the old ones, obviously, there's no no CGI existed other than the CGI Jules Lucas has since sprinkled in after making these films into the old ones. There, everything was kind of practical. Here we're in a mostly CGI world. In this first one, there's still some practical things going on, um, as we've mentioned. But it is... Yeah, we're getting into heavy CGI characters, heavy CGI environments, people looking at things that aren't there. Ewan McGregor later on noted his memories of Star Wars were walking into rooms and looking up at things that weren't there, basically. I noticed really the eyeline on him a lot. Yeah. As in, like, his eyeline was off a lot. But it was all new stuff. Like, it was all new technology Mm -hmm. that they're trying to do. It was very... It was stupidly ambitious. Let's be... Just call it what it is. It was far too ambitious to try and make a movie like this at this point. Effects weren't ready and technology wasn't ready. And yeah, Jar Jar Binks is, is, was a very, very bold move for them to make, like an entirely CGI character. But we had, you have to not forget, Lord of the Rings films were coming out at this point, or just about to. And so we we're about to get Gollum, which was then going to show how a CGI character could be done. <laughs> but yeah, Jar Jar Binks is what we get here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm going to be controversial for a second. When I first saw this movie, I will not say I was a fan of Jar Jar Binks. There are a lot of kids who are fans of Jar Jar Binks who love him. Oh. I was not a fan, but I wasn't as heavily anti him as most people. It's become very much a radical thing of everyone hates Jar Jar Binks. I'm still going to be controversial even watching it this time. I don't like him. I wish he wasn't in the movie. But... I don't hate him as much as most people. And I think the reason is, is because this movie is so dry. There's no character in most of the characters. There's too much yes. character in Jar Jar Binks. And that's the problem. Yes. It's like there should be a balance between how flat everybody else is and how over the top Jar Jar Binks is. Mm-hmm. But at least, at least he has character, I guess. <laughs> I guess if you look at it that way. I'm not saying it's a good character. I'm not saying I want him in the movie. <laughs> but I just, I just, yeah, I'm just going to controversially say I don't hate him as much as most people. But. Yeah, it's funny. Like, it's interesting because it's, it doesn't really know where that balance is of tone of, like, let's have some things that are quite grounded and relatable maybe to our older audience, but have a bit of levity for a younger audience with Jar Jar. But yeah, there's no balance. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> there's no in between of that. It's just like, the two extremes but then even the extreme for like the grounded adult stuff is just like you said dry and yeah, a bit soulless yeah and he's in so much of the movie he's in oh, so he's much in, of he's the movie. movie I will and oh, also man. one other quick prop I'm going to give here is I'm liking the designs of things like we get to you're about sorry you're about to go to Jar Jar's home city uh, which I've forgotten the name of and I really like the design of it Otagunga, yeah, I was thinking that too. So yeah, so here Jar Jar offers to take the Jedi to his hidden city. He tells him that he's been banished from there because he's clumsy. <laughs> um, but he's saying that the Gungans have this hidden city, which is sort of undetected from the invasion and that the leader of Otagunga, Boss Nas, could maybe help them. So we have a sequence where the Jedi go into this lake put in these devices and put these devices yeah those were cool the breathing devices breathe underwater yeah Mm -hmm. and then they swim to otagunga which yeah is really really interestingly designed and and looks kind of cool where they're sort of in these giant bubble pods so as they're swimming and you're seeing like all the sea life they enter one of the pods and suddenly they're in this underwater city where there's many more gungans all speaking like jar jar but a little less annoyingly What's with, um, well, they do keep doing the <laughs> which is oh, the crap out of me. <laughs> I hated it. You just get CDI spit going everywhere. 
This is a problem. That's I'm finding true. the designs are fine, but just the CGI on everything is not up to scratch. Like, it's not good enough to do yeah, what they're trying to do. Far too ambitious at this point. Like you said, I think that's the best way. Yeah, that's totally the best way. There's a part of the CGI that we'll get to that I will definitely talk about. Anyway, I'll talk about when we get to it. So they get to Otagunga and they meet Boss Nas. The Jedi warn that the droids are going to attack the Naboo. But Boss Nas reveals that the Gungans and the people, the Naboo, do not get along. He doesn't like them or trust them. But Qui-Gon, being a wily old Jedi, Jedi mind tricks Boss Nas into helping them. Um, and Nas tells them that the fastest way that they can get to the, the Naboo is through the planet's core. But Jar Jar warns Qui-Gon that it's a trap because every, anyone that travels through the core never comes out. It's a trap. Um, and Qui-Gon at this point decides that Jar Jar has to come along on this adventure. He can he can help them through this clumsy, <laughs> goofy Gungan is going to be the one that's going to help them through the the planet's core. So meanwhile, in cinemas, people are getting up and walking out. So he tells Boss Nas that Jar Jar owes him a life debt, and so Boss Nas is like, "Okay, you want to be the idiot that takes him? You take him." Because they were going to kill him, though, anyways, right? Weren't they going to kill him? Were they, or were they just going to banish him again? I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't understand any of it's... this society and how they're dealing with mm. things. They banish a boy because he's clumsy. I, I don't. And yeah, I have no idea what's happening <laughs> with how they all relate <laughs> to each other. So they they get this cool little ship boat fish thing to travel through the core. Accurate. <laughs> Again, technical, Alex. Really, uh, technical. I've got all the technical names. For this <laughs> um, and Jar Jar warns them of the giant goober fish. <laughs> and so as they're traveling through, they're followed by a giant goober fish, which catches the transport, but then is attacked by a bigger fish, in which point Qui-Gon goes, there's always a bigger fish. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> Yeah, and they're so just weird. unflappable. Like Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan are just absolutely unflappable for the majority yep. of this movie. And I just keep thinking back to the original films and just how everyone was excited and scared and sassing on each other and just like the range of emotions was shown from characters. <laughs> Whereas these two, they're being chased by this huge CGI fish, and then an even bigger one comes along, and then they're just like nothing. Just not even not even enjoying the quips. Just like flat <laughs> quips. It's like you're at a table reading, if that. It's just oh, so weird. Sorry. Oh, uh, so from there we cut back to the Viceroy. I'm already out. <laughs> I know. Ours out. So back we cut back to the Viceroy oh, who's speaking to the Dark Lord again. Um, and he says that the young queen will be easily manipulated. So at this point, we find out that because they've cut off communications to the Senate, the Trade Federation will get Queen Amidala to sign a treaty, basically approving of the blockade and their invasion or something like that. But the viceroys don't tell the Dark Lord that the Jedi are missing. We then cut back to the Jedi going through the planet core and suddenly their transport runs out of power. All I wrote at this point was the transport runs out of power and they are chased by monsters. <laughs> Ac accurate yes accurate yeah. which they evade and then after that we cut back to the invasion of Theed the city in Naboo the droids invade Theed and they capture the queen uh, the viceroys arrive in Naboo um, and they make the queen sign a treaty sign that treaty I just mentioned uh, to make the invasion legal 
at this point, though, the Jedi who have got through the core and have arrived in Theed surprise the droids that are holding the Queen captive and rescue her and her staff. They get to... Oh, okay, so this point, Theed. The CGI at this point, where the first kind of droid battle kind of thing starts, mm. is just shockingly bad. Yes. It is awful. And I know, like, <laughs> again, like, you have to kind of consider the, the time, but I think you summed it up best out, uh, is that it's just too ambitious. It's stupidly ambitious. It's arrogantly stupidly ambitious. And for me, that's why you can't forgive it for the time. For so many movies where they're using effects sparingly where they need to, and of course they're going to age, yes, I think you have to take in a little bit into consideration the time it was made in. For this movie, it's like, mm -hmm. no, you've made, you have a $150 million budget. You can 100% compl- make this movie with practical elements and just scale back some of your ideas. And they chose, to, well, that they... George Lucas chose to do it this way. You have to be reprehensible for the decisions you made. And the problem is, I remember at the time, sure, they don't look, didn't look as bad as they do now, obviously, but I remember at the time, they were still disappointing. Like, there were bits of effects that were really great and exciting at the time, which have aged now. But even then, in 1999, their effects were like, no, this, doesn't, this looks horrible. It just doesn't work. And a large portion of that for me is simply green screen. It's simply just like people are clearly, they're rarely lit the way they should be. They're clearly always on a little soundstage green screen and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work for every shot. Yeah, it's amazing. Like it's so, because it's so heavily green screens, particularly as we progress through these prequels. Mm. Like you just see the the outline of the green screen. Do you know what I mean? It's really... It's jarring. like a cutscene in a 90s like video game, you know, where they get live yeah. action actors in for a shot. It's just, it just is so weird and jarring, uh, no pun intended. Speaking of video games, there's been a number of memes that have been floating around showing the Naboo from Battlefront 2, uh, which is about to come out, um, and comparing it to the Naboo from The Phantom Menace. And... Battlefront 2, the scale and how beautiful it looks, <laughs> it looks better. is just incredible. It looks so much better. Well, I do think that um, is prudent, though, because I have it written down here in my notes, and I think you're absolutely, like, that's a good way to talk about it. It's, yeah, Battlefront 2, the video game's about to come out. It's the first time anything really has returned to these environments from these prequels. And what it's proving is these environments are great. Like, the designs, and I haven't written down here, like, I'm thinking the designs are great for most of this movie. The story is even fine for a Star Wars story. When you, Like I say, when we really picked apart Empire and Return, it's pretty, particularly Return, it's a shoddy story, but it's loads of fun. There's just no fun here. That's the problem. It's just no fun. Like, yeah. the structure of everything I'm fine with, it's just what I'm being fed, I'm not enjoying. Yeah. Yeah, so they get to... They rescue the queen. At this point, they get to a hangar and rescue pilots that are being held by the droids, and they're able to board a ship. The queen's ship run uh, escapes Naboo, uh, but is hit by the blockade, which is orbiting Naboo, um, destroying the ship's shield. They send out a bunch of R2 units to repair it. They all get shot except one. Who could that be? Yay! Which R2 unit could repair the shield? It was like fate or something. R2 unit. <laughs> Uh, R2-2 repairs the shield. It's the first time we see R2 in these prequels. He's doing his little beeps and he's a little hero and they're like, yeah, that droid's awesome. 
However, the ship's hyperdrive is leaking, so they can't make it to Coruscant, the galactic capital. Um, so they have to choose a planet that's close by, but out of the way. And again, by like some twist of fate, <laughs> they stumble across Tatooine, the desert planet we see in A New Hope. Mm. It's out of the way. There's no Federation presence. So they decide to go there. Um, at this point, we cut back to the Viceroys again, who are speaking to the Dark Lord. They admit to him that Amidala didn't sign the treaty and she escaped. Um, um, and this is when we get the first reveal of the Dark Lord's Apprentice, where Darth Maul suddenly steps into frame in the communication thing, folds his arms and looks all menacing with his tattooed face. And the Dark Lord reveals that this is Darth Maul and that he's going to send Darth Maul to find the Queen's ship. So and then I wrote, it cuts back to R2-D2 being commended. <laughs> <laughs> I have written down here. So in my notes, every now and then there'll be a little spike. And that little spike is Darth Maul, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> and whenever he turns up, which is rarely, but I get that little, a few exclamation marks coming. Because I fucking, I love Darth Maul. I absolutely love mm -hmm. him. He was originally going to be played by Benicio Del Toro, apparently. <laughs> which is interesting casting uh, but he left the film when George Lucas ended up cutting pretty much all of Darth Maul's lines from the, uh, from the script um, but he is what's his name Peter Serenophosquid what is that you put? Peter Serenophosquid yeah he does the voice yeah, yeah he does the name uh, sorry yeah the voice and for me like the combination between uh, fuck what's the name of the actor da -da 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 -da. hang on give me one second that plays Darth Maul? Is it yeah. Ray Parker? Uh, Peter. Yeah. Peter Parker? Peter Parker. Peter, no. Peter Serfinowski's? Peter Serfinowski. Yeah, Sir. see, he does the voice. Something like that. Ray Park. Oh, it's Ray Park. Yeah, Ray Park. Uh, the oh, combination so somebody else does the voice. Yeah. The combination between Ray Park's physicality and Peter Serenoff's with... I don't know how to say a second name. <laughs> I can't do <laughs> it. Good friends with Simon Pegg. He was in Shaun of the Dead, and he's a great British actor and lots of great stuff. Uh, he's also great. He does lots of voiceover for, for animations and stuff. That's just... I love it. I love the present stuff more. Love his design. Love how cool he looks. Love his voice. Uh, I love everything about him. And this is a definite... Immediately... I'm waking up again now for a split second. I'm yeah. awake again, Alex. Yeah, because like, that was one of the most exciting parts about the trailer. was like, oh, there's this new... Sith yeah. Lord, he looks completely different. Uh, you can actually yeah. move. He you looks like he's move. into parkour before parkour was a thing, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Well, so where are we? Oh, yeah, so then they arrive on Tatooine. The hyperdrive generator is destroyed and they need a new one. So Qui-Gon says that he's going to go into Mos Eisley to acquire the parts. At this point, Qui-Gon also senses a disturbance in the Force. I think he has a brief little moment of just saying that he feels the disturbance and Obi-Wan's like, I felt it too. And they don't really elaborate no. further on what that is. <laughs> no uh, so he goes to towards Mos, Mos Eisley. He's going to take R2 and Jar Jar and the handmaiden Padme is like, I'm going to come along too. The queen wants me to come. And he's like, uh, you can stay. And she's like, no, it's the queen wants me to come. Um, and Padme is an <laughs> Portman. So here we do with like, and we'll get to it later, but you know, spoilers. Yes, she is the queen. But <laughs> it's... A twist that I do think coming back to it now, it works. Like, that's one that I do think they do well. I remember watching it that first time, and they all do look so similar. Natalie Portman had been around at that point in films like Leon and stuff, but she wasn't a big name yet, obviously. Now I don't know if it works so well. Like, Christina, were you able to very obviously tell when it was Natalie Portman and when it wasn't? 
Yes. But I was, I didn't know she, like, I didn't know that she was going to go undercover, right? As the handmaiden. Um, so when I first saw Keira Knightley as the queen, I was like, wait, that doesn't look like Natalie. I was a little confused. I was thrown off. And then okay. I realized later when she went undercover. But I liked okay. I liked that whole um, storyline with that. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Call her being this proactive queen who wants to do that. I think it is a twist that works yeah, very well at the time because we didn't know Kira Knightley or Natalie Portman. Kira Knightley's still yeah. pretty hard to make out because she's just covered in makeup yeah. and she doesn't get to do much, to be honest. And the uh, makeup, yeah, really- all that stuff, and the costumes really helped pull that off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's cool makeup. The queen's makeup. Yeah, is, really cool. It is really awesome. I love it. So we end up in Mos Eisley, which, although I think they did go back to Tunisia to shoot some of this, like in the originals, I think. Maybe. Some parts. Let's say yes. <laughs> but we get a Mos Eisley that is very, very CGI based at this point, unlike the Mos Eisley of A New Hope. Qui-Gon and the group enter a shop which is owned by Watto. Watto. You did it on last week's podcast, man. <laughs> you did such a good Watto impersonation. Huh. Oh, so you're looking for the part. Oh, that is so <laughs> good. That's good. Uh, so, again, I was talking to my housemate Carter about all the funny accents, and he brought up a good point that Watto is another kind of sort of slightly cringeworthy one in that he's a sort of greedy shopkeeper with a slightly old Jewish man accent and he has a yeah. big, giant nose. Very big nose. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's uh, a lot of weird stereotypes going on in this movie. <laughs> However, with despite his that English, he also has his own language which he speaks, which he kind of cuts back and forth between. So are you finding point, yeah, I'm finding that scenes are going it's very weird, but scenes just going on like two seconds too long <laughs> like a scene oh two God. seconds that's generous that's no generous. but i mean like they'll actually finish delivery and then they'll just stop and then the camera just waits on them for a bit yeah that's and true, then it'll yeah. end it's really weird and the actor doesn't seem to know what to do and the person who's and yeah sorry the score doesn't know what to do like it just kind of limps for a second before trying to convince you yeah. oh but the next scene's exciting it's yeah oh it's so strange so, uh, in, yeah, they're in Watto's shop looking for the hyperdrive parts. A little human slave boy is brought in by Watto, Watto, and Padme starts to have a conversation with this little boy who reveals that he's a pilot. Qui-Gon tries to mind trick Watto, which is really funny because he's just like, what are you doing? Like, it doesn't work. <laughs> Maybe really funny was a bit generous. Hilarious. And it turns out that during this bargain or bartering, basically Qui-Gon doesn't have enough supplies to barter with Watto to get the parts that they need. So they wander off, kind of trying to fit, think of a new plan. At this point, as they're wandering through Mos Eisley, Jar Jar sees this sort of like frog-like creature hanging at a stall. And he, with his tongue, he goes to grab it and pull it, but it's tied to the, the little stick that it's attached to. And he's like pulling and he's all awkward. And he's like, <laughs> and it goes flying off across a table and it hits a creature um, who gets up and gets angry and, and attacks Jar Jar. But at this point, this creature, who we find out is called Sebulba, is confronted by the little boy uh, that was in Watto's shop, who we find out is Anakin Skywalker. He I'm a person Sebulba. and my name is Anakin. <laughs> yeah, and he tells Sebulba that 
yeah, don't like leave Jar Jar alone and that they'll meet again in the next pod race. And we're like, hmm, pod race, what's that? <laughs> Sounds like a video game tie-in. Yeah, at this point, a sandstorm starts. So Anakin invites the group back to his place where they meet Shmi Skywalker. Shmi. Anakin shows Padme his protocol droid he's making. Who Yay! does this? 3PO. I did really yeah. enjoy seeing where 3PO came from and where R2-D2 came from. So made by Very Darth cute Vader. little stories. Technically. Then. Yes, yeah, so 3PO is completely 3PO, unfinished yeah. and, and nude at this point, mm. which I think R2 makes a joke about to 3PO. Yeah. <laughs> that he's uncovered. Yeah. That he's naked. That he's naked, yeah. Yes. Um, so Anakin and Padme have this big conversation uh, where Anakin also tells Padme that he's building a pod racer. Um, sorry, Al, were you about to say something? No, 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 no. We just There are a few scenes during this whole section where the Jedis are like, so I was just looking at my notes. I was like, they keep manipulating people's thoughts all the time. I'm still from Return of the Jedi f- forward having problems with how we're defining what is the Jedi side and what is the dark side. I just like mm-hmm. how it's not seen as the way to the dark side to manipulate people's thoughts. I like how yeah, that's, for your that's advantage. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they just it's do for it. the greater good, Al. But yeah, but like, but they're very much a democracy, and then, the, but the Jedi's in this film <laughs> are really just like, no, we're dictating everything. Whatever we think is the right thing to do, people should do, and we will make them do it. And then, even with the Queen, she keeps having like, and admittedly, it's you know, the fake Queen a lot of time, but they'll just they'll, she'll give ideas, and then they just tell her what to do. They just give her information and tell her, like, they'll just say, no, you're going to do it this way. Trust us. And then they just walk off out of scenes. Yeah. And it's well, just really weird. To play the other side of that, I think particularly with Qui-Gon, that happens a lot. And we've later find out that he is actually quite a sort of rebel amongst the Jedi ranks. It's true. And sort of okay. goes against code. Mm. Um, okay. So, yeah. So Anakin tells Padme he's building a pod racer. We cut to the Nubian ship where... Obi-Wan is waiting and he gets a, a senator is sending a transmission saying that they must return to the Naboo and that the death toll is increasing the Queen's guards and all the disguised Queens like we need to send a reply and Obi-Wan's like nope don't send a reply it's a trick we go back to no to but wait but then Coruscant. four seconds later he turns to Obi-Wan and goes but what if it's true <laughs> like, you literally <laughs> yeah, just said it's it. a trick <laughs> yeah so some good good writing there and good oh. tying things together. Uh, we go back to Coruscant where the Dark Lord sends Darth Maul to locate Darth the Maul! Jedi. I remember this bit was, I think, in one of the trailers where we see Darth Maul speaking and he says, um, at last we'll confront the Jedi, at last yeah, we'll yeah. have our revenge. And I remember seeing that in the trailer and just thought that was so... Oh, it's so cool. This gives me tingles this um, moment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was, it was still cool, that bit. Christina, you seem unfazed by the Darth Maul excitement. He's doing nothing for you at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I found my enjoyment through young Annie. You like Annie? Oh my God, you just called him Annie. (laughs) (laughs) I do like Anakin, young Anakin. I feel like everybody else is so dead that he, except for... Jaja, I don't know. He brings so much life to this movie. Hmm. I'm sure it's like people either loved him or hated him. Is that how it was? 
I think, I mean, yeah, kids liked him because you got a kid in a Star Wars film and they're clearly, like, George Lucas very clearly came back after Return of Jedi and then leaving it for, you know, 16 years to be, this is going to be more of a kid's film and we really want to sell as many toys as always, but we want to, like, hit that demographic and having a kid at the lead is important. I just felt like he was, like, the only one that had any energy. Yeah, I can understand that. You know? Everybody else was so dead that, that he was like a little bit hey man, of a Jar-Jar's breath of fresh air. Of of and, except Jaja. No, no Jaja. <laughs> I mean, uh, coming into this film, I think, I mean, seeing this film again, I liked Anakin way more than I had in the past. And I felt for it, the actor Jake Lloyd more because he's a little kid and he's, he's yeah. probably not being directed very well. And he's got really sort of average lines, which are difficult for any actor to to sort of bring life into. We're about to. He tried. He really tried. I empathized with him more from that aspect, and I and I liked his sort of little kid charm way more than I have in the past. Um, He was really sweet. So sweet. Because he like God bless Jake Lloyd. He gave up acting after this because he was bullied so much because of this movie. So he, yeah, his story is actually quite sad. Quite sad. I think he's ended up in a a psychiatric unit because he was suffering from schizophrenia, um, mm. and he was arrested for like reckless driving and um, and sent to jail initially, but then sent to. Oh, sad. And he's he still weirdly such he's a still, sweet like, kid. Reprises this role for voiceover work though for games and stuff like that. Yeah, there yeah, he is. He's- yeah, Christina's just looking at a photo right now. It doesn't look the same. Now. Well, uh, that's I know. That's it looks like, like a member of Limp Biscuit. When you look up the like the IMDb, the name of the actors, you know, in this in this um in this episode one, mm-hmm. his comes up as Darth Vader. It doesn't come. Does up it? It comes straight up as Darth Vader. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't come up as um Anakin Skywalker. Spoilers. That's weird. That's why I was like, is that him? <laughs> There's like a lot of. Clips on YouTube of him going to like different comic conventions and Star Wars conventions throughout the years and just giving very kind of awkward interviews and people asking him questions that have clearly kind of got under his skin because he's probably been asked a million times and yeah. he unfairly copped a lot of shit for this film when he yeah, was like a yeah. kid. So I think, he's I don't like, know if I had that sad. attitude as well coming into it or was like, it wasn't this kid's fault. At but all. at the end of the day, you have to yeah. justify for what it is, you know? Like, it was for always sure. the age thing. Like, can we look at, do we need, should we need to know anything from the extended universe? No. Should we need to know anything about the actors? No. It's really just what are we given? And yeah. if Christina, if you're enjoying, you know, what you're given with this kid. I like, enjoyed I, him. Again, for me, he was someone, quite a lot of people hated him at the time, purely because people know where this is heading. We know who Anakin is from the other films. Like, Darth Vader was called Anakin. So we know where this is going. And I think people were pissed to see Darth Vader as a little cute kid, basically upset a lot of people. Yeah. He was really cute and sweet. I mean, yeah. polar, like, you know, completely opposite to what he turns out to be. But if we get to the next scene, Alex, we have one of my least favorite, well, yeah, one of my least favorite scenes is the one you're about to describe, I think. Okay, so we're at uh, dinner. Back on <laughs> Tatooine, back at Anakin's place. <laughs> And Anakin is talking about pod racing and that he's the only human that can pod race. Anakin at this point realizes that Qui-Gon is a Jedi. I think this is also the point where Jar Jar Binks is snapping fruit with his tongue. 
and Qui-Gon mm-hmm. says to Anakin, oh, like, you must have Jedi reflexes to to be able to pod race. And at which point he also catches Jar Jar's tongue and tells him to stop eating the fruit. This is one of my least favorite scenes in the entire film, man. I fucking hate <laughs> Because of Jar Jar? Because of everything that's happening. <laughs> like, the conversation is Just horrible. blame it on Jar Jar. Blame it on so Jar Jar. Anakin then also reveals that he had a dream that he was a Jedi and that he came back to rescue all the slaves on Tatooine. So then kind of still trying to figure out how to get the parts. So Anakin's like, I'll win the pod race to get the prize money to buy the parts, which the senior Qui-Gon Jinn believes is a good plan. It's just everything. It's just horrible. Everything about it is horrible. Like the way he says that line is just thrown out there so quickly. I had a dream I was a Jedi and came back for his slave. And it's just like we have to get this out because we're setting up stuff. And then like the CGI on the scene's horrible. The acting is just the the mother is terrible in this scene. Just off the scale. I mean, everyone's being bad, but she's just sitting there not doing anything. And then when she does at the end, it's just like like George Lucas has just drained all of the joy out of anybody. I hate this scene so much. I hate it. And what's really frustrating is it's one of the few bits on a set. <laughs> so like, I have a note after this. Ah, like, yeah. oh, we have a few shots on location immediately after this as well. And they look, they look nice. They look cool. But you're still filling it with just devoid of character or charm or anything. And just these nonsense bits of dialogue that are purely there to set up tying up all the loose ends you know and it's like mm-hmm. i don't i don't care i really don't care so i mean it, it gets better so quite good quite good the next day goes back to Watto and offers the nubian ship as collateral to sponsor anakin to enter the pod race he says to Watto, if they win Watto keeps the money minus the uh, the parts um and if they lose he keeps the money and the ship so it's like win-win for him at this point we cut back to Qui-Gon speaking to Shmi about Anakin and his abilities. And he, ah! asks, he asks, he says he's got Jedi abilities. Who was his father? Shmi then admits that there was no father. Ah! So it was like an, immacu- an immaculate, immaculate conception. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Force. I forgot about that. that. Yeah, she just uh. says there was no father. He, it, just, it just happened, basically. The will of the force. Jar Jar and droids. Is that what we're saying here? Like, what the what the fuck? It's so... like the immaculate conception, man. Oh, bold, bold choice. Very bold just... choice. Everything, and this is something that we're going to probably maybe keep coming back to as we go through these prequels, and maybe even in the sequels as well, is making decisions because the originals were obviously such a big deal. Making decisions that make your universe contract rather than expand. Like, everything mm-hmm. they're doing at the moment is just making the universe smaller and smaller. Like, everything, like, Darth Vader has to be really, really special. Like you're saying, they have to, like, tie into the same planets. This person has to know this person. This person had to create that droid because they're tied to this thing. It's like everything has yep. to become smaller rather than expanding the universe. And in those first three films, all they did was constantly expand and expand and expand and then just contracted <clears throat> in a couple of key places, you know, to join a couple of, you know, dots, basically. Yep. And it's just, oh, it's driving me crazy already. And then you're about to make so, it worse. <laughs> yep. So Jar Jar and the droids help Anakin prepare his pod racer. And after that kind of little scene, um, it's evening and we're with Qui-Gon who's healing a wound of Anakin's. 
So he heals the wound and then he takes some of Anakin's blood, which he sends to Obi-Wan to get a midi-chlorian count. Now, we don't know exactly what midi-chlorians are at this point. He doesn't explain it. But what is revealed is that Obi-Wan gets the sample, tests it, and sends back to Qui-Gon that he has a, Anakin has a higher midi-chlorian count than even Master Yoda. Over 20,000. Over 20,000. So we're like, It's basically, you know when you watch Dragon Ball and they have those little glasses on and they're watching people for yep. how high their, their PowerPoints are? That's what it is. Yeah, that's exactly that's such a good description. Um, so yeah, we have that little scene, and Qui-Gon turns and Shmi's looking at him from inside, <laughs> and then we cut to Darth Maul landing on Tatooine, Yay! which is really cool. It's at like it's at twilight, the sun's setting. He lo- he's looking over the kind of towns townships, um, and he sends out drones to search the surrounding area. Does he get on his little um, bike at this point, or is that later? <laughs> No, I think that's late. God damn it. Okay. So then we go to the start of the pod race. Everyone's setting up. They arrive at the arena and Qui-Gon meets with Watto again, who says that he bets on every race and Watto believes that Sebulba is going to win. Qui-Gon bets that if Anakin wins, he gets to take Anakin and his mother. But Watto says that's an unfair deal. He can only take Anakin. Oh, and no. he gives so up he, so easily. Yeah, so Why? He, he says you Why? can have. They, so he, he sad. Yeah, it's play. like whatever. The mum's a dragon. I don't really want the mom. <laughs> yeah, he decides to play a play a game of dice. Or he's like, if you roll red, you'll get the mother. If you roll blue, you get Anakin. So Watto rolls the dice. Qui Gon manipulates it with the Force so of that it lands on whatever the color is for Anakin. I like also how he doesn't talk to the mother. He's just like, no, I'm just going to take your child. <laughs> I know. It is Everyone's so with this. bizarre. We should also mention that the huts are currently running Tatooine at, at this point as yeah. well. And they're like running mm. this pod race from there's like a sexy like wife hut as well. I say sexy yeah, in the broad, broadest tense of the word. There are, however, I was worried because I did find sexy the two blue ladies who are massaging Sabalba when he's getting ready for his pod race. Oh, there yeah. You go. <laughs> so yeah, so at this point we meet the pod races in this like extent this whole sequence is this whole sequence of pod racing is just like way 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 too long oh yeah. my god thank we you have the so of the pod long races. god yeah, so so we meet all the pod races one by one and then we also meet jabba who's up in the stands like i said with his wife jabba um at this point we see sebulba sabotage anakin's racer and we have a moment where Qui-Gon... And nobody noticed. Nobody. Yeah, and Anakin... Uh, Qui-Gon tells Anakin to feel and not think and to use his instincts. I mean, well, I rushed through that. That's bit, litigious, that's really that long. is. <laughs> you should always think before they you feel. St- yeah, so they start the race. Anakin stalls on the line. He fixes it. And yeah, and then we go into the race. Now, this I whole think bit. this racing scene is just like way, 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 way too long. It's, it's awesome. so it long. Awesome. It's like half of the movie. <laughs> Why do you do this to me? I don't and like know, clearly man. setting it up for the video game, which was released shortly. Honestly, I felt like the whole movie was just all fighting. Was mm. it? There's a lot of fighting in this. Yeah, it's a lot of fighting. Okay. I'm going to counteract. Alex and Christina because yep. it's time we had what? some different opinions this is the best Star Wars film yet what? No. 
<laughs> my problem here, and I remember at the time, because pod racing was huge. Like, I remember people at the time, for the most part, really loved the pod racing scene, even people who hated uh, the movie. And I have a real problem with what's all around the pod racing scene. I mean, we have fart jokes coming in here. We have Greg Proops being a, a presentator, doing just like American football kind of dialogue right, over yeah. which really annoys me they're trying to do like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy humor and they just can't pull it off the writing's just not good enough at all and it really does dawn on me here that ever since a new hope all star wars films are basically just an excuse to hang out with some people and do whatever set pieces they want to do it that worked well in empire and return of jedi it hasn't been working for me in this one because the stuff they've chosen that they want to do isn't what i want to do but I still really like this pod racing scene. I think there are some shots that look terrible. I think the sound design is fantastic. And so far for me in a movie that has bored the crap out of me, this is adrenalizing. And there is genuinely some great ideas going on here. And it's basically just like watching an episode of Wacky Races from Looney Tunes. But I'm fine with that. Like, I really am. I'm like, something's happening and they're just having fun. Um, and it doesn't work all the time. And it certainly is egregiously long, but I would rather yeah. watch this pod race for an hour than what I just watched <laughs> for the hour before. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't think it was bad. Yeah, I mean, I've got nothing wrong with it. It just needs to be cut shorter. Yeah. Agreed, Alex. Same thing. I like how there's yeah. a real lack of music until the end of the, until the end of the final lap. All you're getting is you know them racing. Uh, I like that they bring the Tuscan Raiders back in, who are just taking pot shots at them. It's like mm -hmm. it's completely goofy. And oh stupid, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's I don't know. Like I find it fun. Uh, you have them screaming like Boutini, and you got like there's some really good uses of just visuals and editing to let us understand what's going on because it's really complicated. And I I think it's for me without a doubt the best directing that george lucas does in this entire film like i understand everything that's happening and there are some really bold ideas like going on in this there was good yeah. suspense during this and like anakin's like i don't know it's the most i like him as well in this movie because he's doing what he does like this is him doing what he can actually mm -hmm. do well yeah we get a kind of insight into his abilities and his quick thinking there's like a bit where his pod cable comes loose and he's able to reattach yeah. it and yeah that he has was a cool. cool battle with sebulba and as they get into the lead and again like that part that sebulba breaks uh comes loose and he starts to lose power and we see anakin and again like quick thinking and he like distributes power between both engines and then starts them both up and yeah they they start he catches up to Sebulba, they, their races get stuck, but Anakin's able to detach, which causes Sebulba to like crash and go into a spin and Anakin wins and woohoo, everyone's happy. Watto begrudgingly accepts defeat and he's like handing out his winnings to other people that I guess he lost bets to. At this point, I don't know if you guys noticed when Qui-Gon Jinn's talking to Watto in that that little uh, boothy stall, looking down into the arena, you actually see one of Darth Maul's drones zoom past them. Oh, cool! No, I didn't notice that. I also uh, didn't notice like there's good lists online. There's too many to kind of go into here, but the amount of Easter eggs in the crowd is insane. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's Indiana Jones is in the crowd, like walking to go to the toilet. Like everybody really? ever oh. from any Spielberg film basically is in the crowd. Like it's crazy how many little nods or other things oh that's cool. yeah there's one little bit as well where one of the pod races uh, i don't know what type species of alien he is crashes and in that scene with wado and qui-gon 
in the background you see like a mother version of him with two children that are crying like walking them past oh dark <laughs> god so yeah what are we begrudging these steps to feet now we cut to Qui-Gon telling Anakin that he is free um, and is set to join him to become a Jedi. But Qui-Gon also tells Anakin that Shmi wasn't freed. So Anakin like goes and packs his thing and then we have this awful point of view shot from 3PO saying goodbye to Anakin, <laughs> which oh. is just so weird and out of place that they put this, <laughs> this point of view shot in. Uh, it's yeah. so weird. <laughs> Yeah, it took me a minute to understand Anakin. what was going on. I, yeah. didn't, I honestly, yeah. I was like, what is happening with this handheld camera? <laughs> <laughs> so weird. And we're an yeah. hour and 10 minutes into this movie, and it's just occurring to me, and I've had this problem you know, with, I think, Return, wasn't it, when I said this? But we're an hour and 10 minutes in. There was a hostile takeover, which we didn't see happen. It happened off screen. <laughs> but other than that, nothing's happened yet in this movie, plot-wise. We were introduced to a yep. 3D and nothing else has happened other than a hostile takeover, which we didn't get to see. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Anakin says his goodbyes. He's really excited and he follows Qui-Gon, but then he runs back to his mother, who's sort of looking at him and he says that he can't go and that he's worried he'll never see her again. And then she's like, what does your heart say? And he's like, yes, and whatever, maybe, I hope, something like that. Um, but he promises to come back for her and she tells him to be brave and, and to not look back. And then we've got Anakin and Qui-Gon walking through the desert back to the Nubian ship. And I think Anakin makes a comment of just like, oh, it's so far, I'm getting tired. And suddenly on his speeder motorbike thing, Darth Maul zooms around and Qui-Gon turns around and tells Anakin to duck, um, at which point Maul jumps off his speeder, <laughs> lights his lightsaber and engages in an, uh, into a fight with Qui-Gon. The best that lightsaber is- fight so far in the entire franchise. Yes. Yeah. So far. Yeah, so cool, that bit. It's so cool. They have this cool battle. Uh, Qui-Gon manages to tell Anakin to run to the ship, which he does, and he boards the ship, which starts to take off, and there's a cool shot where Obi-Wan's looking down from the ship, and you see Maul and Qui-Gon fighting in the desert. And they go to to rescue him. Qui-Gon is then able to force jump onto the ship, and he is greeted by Anakin and Obi-Wan and says that he was attacked, that he doesn't know by who, but he recognizes that he was well-trained in the Jedi arts. Um, and he believes that, uh, that he's after the queen. Well, what he should have said is he's fucking cool. I was attacked by a cool yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> the best thing I've seen so far. <laughs> and this is the point where Anakin is introduced to Obi-Wan for the first time. And as we know from the original trilogy, Obi-Wan speaks sort of fondly of Anakin as a brother and a good friend. But here we're seeing these two people like with a big age gap. <laughs> yeah, very weird, oh. awkward introduction. <laughs> weird, awkward introduction. Did you notice as well? This is the one shot. Where, if I'm not mistaken, we have a cl- we have a shot past Jar Jar Binks's feet, and he's got his feet up on a table or something. While I think it's while they're being introduced, while you and and, and Anakin are, um, and it looks like they actually made Jar Jar puppet feet, like just for right. this shot, and maybe some other shots. Cause I had to pause it and go back and I'm pretty sure like it's it's actual puppet feet and it made me think for a split second maybe I'd actually be able to put up with Jar Jar Binks if he was actually a puppet because just from these feet mm. they look great they've got this hokey kind of character to them and I was like I could maybe maybe he'd actually be all right if he was just yeah a real person in a big old chewy suit yeah that'd be cool oh, imagine the first time you've seen chewy 
Yeah, he's not here Wait, yet. Wait, he's not Imagine in- if the first time you saw Chewie, he was just a big CGI monstrosity. You know, oh, just running so around, just going, rah, 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 just all the time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. Hmm. I wonder if that would have made the difference. So then we cut to, I guess, a few hours later. Padme is now watching the message from the senator where he's urging them to go back to the Naboo. And at this point, she turns around, she finds Anakin on his own. He's just been neglected by the Jedi with no <laughs> blanket or bed. He's just huddled in a corner of the, the ship. Um, and he says right. that he's cold. And so she helps him. And while she's talking to him, Anakin says to her that he senses sadness in Padme, but that he made her a gift for her to keep as a reminder of him. So he was, just to clarify, sorry, I got those ages for you, Christina, in my notes here. So he was eight years old when filming this. Mm. She was 16. Mm. Let's okay. keep that in mind moving forward. <laughs> okay. The ship then arrives on Coruscant. They are greeted by Supreme Chancellor, Chancellor Valorum and Senator Palpatine. Qui-Gon tells the Chancellor that they need to speak to the Jedi Council. Uh, Palpatine tells the Queen that the Senate is full of greed and corruption and that they won't stop the invasion. So he suggests, oh, this is later on in the Queen's like quarters. He suggests that they could vote for a stronger leader who could handle the bureaucrats and basically push through law and legislation that'll, that'll end this trade blockade. All I've written so down Palpatine's- is boring politics. That's all. <laughs> yeah, so Palpatine is very much trying to enforce his will on the situation. But yeah, as Al said, it can, it can be kind of boring. I'm phasing in and out, man, and I'm going to need you to help me clarify everything that's happening in this movie by the time we get to the end. Can I just say that really okay. quickly, we all watched the trailer to this movie before this podcast, which was a great trailer. Like, it's a really cool trailer. Managed to make this film seem really exciting. Did you notice anything weird in that trailer, Christina? That was not in the film that we saw. No, I didn't. <laughs> so, what uh, was it? Yoda My, looked a little different in that trailer what? than he did in this one. Yeah. Uh, so they, because he went back. Damn it. Because when this film first came yeah. out, there were, because I was reading all the facts about it and they made this big deal about Yoda still wanting to be a puppet. And I was like, wait a second, that's not the fucking version I just watched. Mm-hmm. When this then later, was it when it came to DVD or to Blu-ray? I don't know. I think to Blu-ray. To the Blu-ray. So when he was adding extra things for like the third time to the original trilogy, he added things to this trilogy as well and changed Yoda to be completely CGI for the entire movie. Yeah. Whereas in that trailer, oh, so in the trailer see, he was just a puppet. You could see the great Frank Oz, like Jim Henson proper puppet, is there in the trailer, and it looked oh. fucking cool. And I remember coming out of the film going, "Well, at least Yoda was real." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> took that away. From I me. will. S- I mean, the Yoda puppet in this. Remember, we were seeing it originally. Yeah, I I liked it. I liked that they went the puppet. I thought. Because they tried to age him down slightly, and I remember mm. thinking it looked slightly jarring. It didn't... Yeah. Like, I, I understood that he had to be aged down slightly, but it just didn't feel... I don't know, no. his face felt a little more squished. Like, no, 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 I agree. It didn't look rounded. perfect, but at least it looked like Yoda. Like, it didn't... It, this CGI mm. thing that we see here now is just... All I can do is look at how rigid his CGI grey hair is all the time, because <laughs> it never moves. <laughs> it's just like... However, this CGI Yoda is probably the CGI out of all of this film that I like the most. Okay. And that I am the most accepting of. Like, I like the CGI Yoda. 
Okay, I'm kind of the least accepting of it because it's a character that I already knew. If you know what I mean, someone like Jar Jar Binks, I hate yeah, it, but I don't know him already. Whereas Yoda is like, mm. well, that's not my Yoda, so it upsets me more. But mm. so that's interesting. And what's what was interesting for me, maybe I'll get it into the next one. The difference between this CG Yoda and even the Attack of the Clones CG Yoda, because mm-hmm. this yeah. Yoda came after that. And anyway, we'll yeah. get into that in the next podcast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so at this point we cut to the Jedi Council, which we see for the first time. And in if you've got the 2011 Blu-ray, you see the CG Yoda, not the puppet Yoda. But we also get a whole host of Jedi Masters. Most of them are people with makeup. They're not CG characters. There's like mm-hmm. a few, but most of them are people, which yep. is really cool. And E.T. as well. And E.T. and, uh, yeah, and Samuel L. Jackson sitting yeah. right next to Yoda. Oh, Sammy boy. the only Is he the only... Oh, no, Anakin does as well. I was trying to think, is he the only American accent in this movie? But I think Anakin's American as well, isn't he? Yeah, Everyone else is very British in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about Natalie Portman? She is as a sort of... I think she's doing a slight mutually, accent, Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She's flattened mm-hmm. out her accent for sure. Yeah. So Qui-Gon tells the council that he believes he was attacked by a Sith Lord. The council is skeptical. I think it's Mace Windu, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, that says that's impossible. The Sith have been dead for over a millennia. And then Qui-Gon asks if he can bring the boy before the council because he believes he's the boy that will fulfill this Jedi prophecy, which which is what we find out. And that prophecy is that he is um, the one, basically, that will bring balance to the Force. But again, the council are like, okay, let's let's meet him. Anakin, we cut back to Anakin, who's still in the Queen's quarters, and he asks to see Padme. But I don't. Is that the part where she's not there, or she's Padme is not there, and we get Queen the Amidala twist. comes out? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and she's like, "I'll pass on the message to Padme that you want to say mm-hmm. goodbye." And Anakin's like, "Oh, I'm going to become a Jedi now." Mm-hmm. Then we cut to the Galactic Senate, which is this giant room with all these different pods from people from across the galaxy before the galactic senate padme says that uh, naboo has been invaded but everyone doesn't believe it because there's communications were cut off and there's protests and at this point palpatine has her ear and he he basically tells her like bureaucracy is going to get in the way of getting any help and that he tells her that she should vote I'll make a vote for no confidence for the for the senator uh, for the supreme chancellor. Now at this point, uh, there's a few clips, little uh, some more little Easter eggs when it kind of pans around the Senate and shows all the different aliens that are sort of up in arms and protesting. You see in one shot uh, some Wookies screaming mm. and growling, and also versions of ET, which were oh. thrown in. Yeah, sorry, that's where I meant the ET. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, They're like hidden in the background, but because they were redoing ET at that point and adding CGI ET to the ET film, so they had Mm. a good little ET model that they could chuck in. Because why not ruin all of our childhood memories? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So then we cut back to the Jedi Temple, and Obi Wan is talking to Kaigon and saying that he's skeptical that Anakin will be allowed to train because he's too old. And this is also where we get a slight bit of backstory to Qui-Gon Jinn being sort of this rebellious Jedi because Obi-Wan says to him, like, says that he can't 
over that says that Qui-Gon can't go against the council again. So there's some backstory there about Qui-Gon kind of doing his own thing. We cut to Anakin, who's in the Jedi Council. Mace Windu's holding up an iPad thing with different... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with different objects and uh, ships appearing and Anakin is just using the force to guess which one is coming mm-hmm. up on the screen. This point, they during this interview, Anakin reveals that he misses his mother. Yoda says that, that he senses sadness in him and fear and that fear is the path to the dark side. Fear, and this is like the often quoted line where Yoda says, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Then we cut back to the senator meeting up with Amidala, saying that he's been nominated for the role of chancellor. He acts that all humbled and saying, you know, if he's the right person, blah, blah, blah. Amidala at this point decides to return to Naboo because she feels that it's only fair that she has the same fate as her people. We jump back to the council who decides Thanks. not to train. Yeah. Sorry, man. Have you uh, just? This is more for our UK friends. But have you ever watched Blackadder with Ryan Atkinson? Oh, a long time ago. Oh, okay. For anyone who has recently, what? all of the stuff with the Chancellor feels exactly like Blackadder to me. It's all it's totally, played exactly that. the same way of Ryan Atkinson, where he's like he's the subservient, but he's much smarter than his the people who are ruling over him, and he's just kind of like plotting these like funny silly plans basically to get himself into power and that's exactly how all this plays out to me it's just so obvious and so dumb and everyone just keeps falling for it and just like it's like he's clearly he's not a good guy why is everyone falling for everything he's just manipulating you into doing i don't understand but yeah that's a really that's a good comparison (laughs) So we go back with the council and they decide not to train Anakin. Uh, Yoda says that his future is clouded, but Qui-Gon's like, no, I'll train him. And that, and he insists that Obi-Wan is ready to take the trials to become a Jedi. And they're like, no, Qui-Gon, shut up. It's not going to happen. And they say, instead, they <laughs> urge the Jedi's go to go to Naboo in the hope of drawing out the Sith Lord. Obi-Wan tells Qui-Gon again that he senses that the boy is dangerous and Qui-Gon tells Anakin as they're boarding the ship, like, I can't train you, but just observe me and watch what I do. And Anakin's like, okay. Poor kid. Oh, and actually, no. So before they get on the ship, this is the this is the moment. So not only does he tell Anakin to observe him, but this is when we get the midi-chlorian speech where Qui-Gon gets into the details of what midi-chlorians are, which we heard about earlier in the film, and that they're a life force within all of us that we have a symbiote relationship with and that help us control the force for the midi-chlorians and our own advantage or something like that. But wait, Alex, I'm confused because in our previous podcast, as we've clearly stipulated, they've said in each movie that the force is purely a spiritual thing. Yep, there you go. So that's Mm. the big controversy about this is that a lot of people felt that this removed that sort of spiritual and mystic element of the force because why do you more of a dna type of thing then it's like a parasite it's like they're infected basically like why do you even need it what (laughs) anything else that george lucas adds here there's an argument for why he added it no matter how misguided he may have been 
what is the purpose of midichlorians? We've already all accepted. And this is so, this for me, and I've been supporting George Lucas in those first few films. This for me perfectly illustrates whatever happened to him during the 16 years of not directing. Or, no, sorry, over 20 years of not directing. When you're adding stuff that is purposely making worse or counteracting stuff, which we've already accepted. Like the hard bit of telling a story and making a world is getting people to accept the stuff you're making up. We've all very much accepted Jedis. We're on board with Jedis. There's a fucking religion of Jedis. People love Jedis. Why would you want to count, ca contradict that in any way? It makes no sense. Yep. And what does it add to this story? How does it help anything? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, flabbergasting. You know, and I think it goes back to... We were sort of talking about it with the addition of the Darth Vader no scream at the end of Jedi. I, it's almost sort of like this... It's like it comes across as this desire that... That everything has to be explained. That the audience have to be absolutely sure of George Lucas's yeah. intent. And what he meant, like... But it's like, at least with the scream, it's like, I think that's unbelievably stupid. It ruins the poetry of that moment. But it is accurate to the feeling that he's feeling. You know, they're just hammering it mm -hmm. home more. This is not accurate to anything that we've already accepted and been happy with. This is literally contradicting it. It would be mm -hmm. like, it would be like Darth Vader picking him up and then he's overdubbed, yes, <laughs> over the top rather than no. You know, it's just like a complete contradiction to all of the things that we're, that we've accepted in these movies. And it drives me fucking insane and this for me is like yeah. everything to do with these movies i don't understand why he's making any of these decisions i just don't get it yeah so after the midi-chlorian speech we cut back to darth sidious who checks with the viceroys to see if they have complete control of the naboo he says he's going to send his apprentice darth maul cheer for darth maul al fucking Yay! darth maul <laughs> thank you christina um at this point amidala gets back to Naboo and or on the way and she asks Jar Jar to get her an audience with the Gungans and Boss Nas. So they try to go to the Gungan city but it's empty we find out from Jar Jar. So he takes them to a Gungan like safe place that they go to in times of crises. While there Boss Nas is talking to the queen but Padme suddenly reveals herself to be the real Queen Amidala. Much to the shock of everyone, although Obi-Wan and, and Qui-Gon sort of give each other a wry smile. As Unfazed. Like, nah. Unfazed. Yeah, we knew. We knew. <laughs> we were just going along with it. What a couple of pricks. Like, <laughs> just, you know, that we're meant to be on their journey. Yeah, they don't even like... This is a good... I think this is a good twist. Like I said earlier, I think this works well. Mm -hmm. And our lead characters couldn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> So she begs for help from Boss Nars and basically says that, you know, that the Gungans are better than the people of the Naboo and all this stuff and that she just, you know, rubs his belly basically. And he's happy that they think that they're not better than them and it's like, okay, we'll help. We cut back to the Dark Lord, Darth Sidious, talking to the Viceroys again. And at this point, he's surprised by Queen Amidala's move, which he says was unpredictable and is, is aggressive. We then cut back to the group and the Gungans as they plan their battle. So they decide that they've got the Gungans now on board. So they decide that they're going to use them to distract the droid army. And I think even one of them mentions like many Gungans are going to die. And they're like, yeah, what's the plan? They're going to die? 
Uh, so they use the Gungans to distract the droid army away from the city so that they can sneak into it and capture the Viceroy while they send pilots up to the command center to destroy the shield. Jar Jar Binks is commanding them. He's commanding them. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. How this, did that like, happen? At this point, Boss Nas makes... Is it at this point he makes Jar Jar a general? Or is yeah, it it's in all of this. We have all of these scenes. No, we have all these scenes back and forth with them chatting and planning, which for me was just yeah. so... I'm just tuning out. It just goes on for ages. Yeah. And then during those, yeah, they, they put Jar Jar Binks as the commander of... How? You exiled yeah, him so... for being clumsy. <laughs> Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah, and now you're making him a general after he's dragging you into a battle you don't really want to be a part of. Yeah. So we cut to Sidious, who orders that all of the people, the Gungans and the people of the Rambu, to be wiped out, and he admits that Amidala is foolish. The Gungans <laughs> go out into this field. I think it's the field from the Windows desktop picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> What the hell? That field. This is a big CG mess where the Gungans go out to this field and the droid army also set up positions in the field. We cut back to the palace. Amidala and the Jedi getting through the palace and they they take it back. Um, They get the pilots to their ships. Anakin is told to hide. He hides in a starfighter. The Jedi then... Oh, yeah. The fighters get into a dogfight with the droid ships up in space as they go to destroy the shield. We cut back to the field. The droid army is still unable to penetrate the Gungan shield, so they deploy the large droid army who are able to just walk through it, and they begin uh, attacking the Gungans. We shoot back to the palace, and as the Jedi and Amidala and her guards are heading out of, to heading to the throne room, they are confronted by Darth Maul. And this bit, I think, is it's pretty cool. We get the coolest bit of the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, Darth Maul's score comes up and the doors oh, uh, slowly open to re- reveal him waiting there. Um, and at this point, he ignites his lightsaber. Oh. And then ignites it again. And we realize oh. that he has a, mm-hmm. a double... And the music was, yeah, does a... It's so fucking yeah. good. Apparently, this lightsaber was um, came from a 1996 comic book called Tales of the Jedi: The Sith War. So it had existed before, but I'd never oh, heard cool. of it. I'd never seen it or heard of it. And oh my god, it's so fucking cool, and it's so logical. So like, what's cooler than one lightsaber? Two. Two. <laughs> yeah. And he's the man who can do it. Like he wields it so well. Unfortunately, I find in the Blu-ray version when you get close-ups, you can see how they stuck his horns onto his head. It's got like a very clear like like seal on it but he just looks fucking great he looks so cool like it's quite late in the movie to have such an exciting yeah keep the most fun action scenes for the end and we do have an interesting thing now set up because you've got like this lightsaber fight on the ground you've got a spaceship battle in space and then you've got like a lord of the ringsy war mess (laughs) going on so i feel Mm -hmm. like they're trying to go as big as they can and give everybody you know something depending what you're looking for for me i'm most interested in the lightsaber fight for sure very much moving into the Star Wars structure kind of ending yeah. at this point. So, yeah, the Jedi tell Amidala and her guards to split and go to the throne room while they confront Darth Maul. But Amidala is surrounded by droids. Anakin, who's hiding now in a starship, shoots the droids that are attacking Amidala and her crew. However, he presses the autopilot, which sends his, his starfighter 
into space and into the dogfight that's happening up there. And the mall fight really starts to kick up another level at this point, which is really cool as Obi-Wan. And- yeah, it's, I don't know about for you guys, but for me, like Qui-Gon. the stuff in space is okay. The stuff on the ground with Jar Jar Binks is a lot is just a mess. Like I'm not really enjoying any of that. Mm-hmm. The lightsaber battle is fantastic. And I love that they keep coming back to it from the loudness of everything else and how they break it up as you, yeah, you're about to get to probably with the force fields. It's so cool to give this like very yeah. forced break in the middle of the lightsaber battle, I think is really excellent. Like it's such a smart idea. Yeah. Yeah. Watching this back, which I hadn't seen in a long time. I was the, yeah, the, the lightsaber battle at this point is the absolute highlight. And it's maybe one of my f- favorite lightsaber battles, I think in the series. It is for sure. So far the best one uh, for sure. Um, my only kind of, I guess it's not a criticism, but my only sort of like, eh, about it is just the moments when they break in the fight and they do like very deliberate choreographed kind of almost dance-like poses before right. they engage again. Do you know what I mean? But I thought uh, they like yeah. do a oh, just before. and then just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I like, do like, like Qui-Gon Jinn, he's like trapped and he just sort of meditates. And then as soon as the shield oh, yeah, breaks, he cool. just bursts back out. Oh, that one was cool. And Darth cool. Maul's just mm-hmm. pacing back and forth. It's really like, I love it. Yeah, so so to get up to that bit, they are fighting. Amidala goes up, is just like going through the palace. Obi-Wan gets kicked off a ledge and separated from Qui-Gon. And by the time he tries to catch up, there's laser walls, which are like igniting and disengaging. Mm-hmm. And they get separated. Obi-Wan quite far back and, and Qui-Gon is separated from, yeah, Darth Maul. And like I just said, Darth Maul just gets onto his knees and goes into a meditation while Darth Maul like flashes his teeth and snarls and hits the the laser barrier with his lightsaber and is just kind of pacing. Yeah, and again, again, it just breaks there, which is really cool. Yeah. Then we cut back to the Gungans who are getting overrun by the droids. I just wrote here, there's just Jar Jar hijinks of him being clumsy and yep. tripping and accidentally killing mm-hmm. droids. Amidala is surrounded by droids uh, up in the palace and is forced to surrender. And Anakin, who has disengaged the autopilot, crashes inside the command ship and is kind of trying to figure mm-hmm. out what to do. Um, at this point, we cut back to Qui-Gon and Darth Maul. The lasers disengage they start fighting again obi-wan runs but is unable to make it through the last door and he watches qui-gon uh fight darth maul and at which point darth maul overpowers him punches him in the face and then does a spin and stabs him straight through the middle which makes obi-wan oh christina's pouting (laughs) as obi as Qui-Gon. does anyone that's the question does anyone care is anyone sad about this like do you do we care enough that's the thing we don't but we should we should yeah i don't yeah it's a lost opportunity i'm still out of the goodies i'm still like qui-gon still the one i like the most but certainly nowhere near as much as i feel i should be um so i am actually i do feel a little bit of sadness be gutted yeah i do feel a little bit of sadness and it's just particularly the setup of it just the fact that obi-wan can't even do anything and he has to just watch through the shield yeah Mm -hmm. That is pretty horrible. Pretty cool. But I'm actually more sad about the death that happens in a second <laughs> than I am about that. Yeah, and I mean, it's a recurrence of that idea and theme, right, of like an apprentice seeing his master yeah. get killed and sort of what that ignites in, mm. in them. Yeah, and whether that makes you angry and go to the dark side or not. Yeah, but it just doesn't have mm. enough of an emotional pull for the audience to be like really behind no. it. 
Maybe Whereas, if you're a little kid, it might be different. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I say, at the time, I mean, people were, I, I even, like I say, I dressed up as Qui-Gon Jinn for this party. Like people, I loved the character of Qui-Gon Jinn, even if I wasn't getting enough mm-hmm. from the performance and the writing and the direction. And kids, yeah, kids loved, loved these characters so much at that time growing up with mm-hmm. this. And that's what we're saying, Alex, is like, we, it's so easy for us to snub it. And Christina's completely new, which is great. But there is a generation who just grew up with these and they love them. Like, they really yeah, love it. Absolutely. For sure. So at this point, after Obi-Wan sees Qui-Gon stabbed, we cut back to Jar Jar and the Gungans who are forced to surrender as well. So the Viceroy is confronting the decoy Amidala, oh no, he's confronting Padme, but the decoy Amidala distracts the guards, uh, which allows Amidala and her men to overpower and capture the Viceroy. Uh, we cut back to Obi-Wan now, who goes in and goes full force attacking Darth Maul in a really cool sequence. So it's actually in this bit that I referenced before, where it's like they have a couple of breaks where okay. they like back off each other, but they it's in a very kind of deliberate choreographed pose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and actually a cool bit earlier in the fight it's a cool bit where or is it in this bit where like maul is walking backwards and he does like a force grab of something on the wall and yes flings him at it. it just looks really awesome yeah it does because it's the first time i think we're seeing fight. a lightsaber fight and the force pull move like any force maneuvers happening mm-hmm. at the same time and it's really cool yeah so and like duality. in such a fluid fluid way yeah yeah so yeah they they're engaged in a fight a really cool sequence obi-wan's going nuts but maul He's able to force push Obi-Wan off a ledge. And there's another really cool bit. Again, just how cool Maul is and just how kind of uh, like this sort of aggressive force that he is. He he sees Obi-Wan's lightsaber, which he kicks off down into the the thing that Obi-Wan's hanging off and then just stands over him as he's hanging, just looking at him again, snarling his teeth and kind of just waiting for Obi-Wan to make his move. Yeah. But then he doesn't do much with the move that Obi-Wan does do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We cut back up to then Anakin, who's on the control ship. Anakin just is able to reactivate his ship or whatever, or R2 fixes it. Anakin shoots the control ship from the inside, which starts to destroy it. And he flies out, and the starfighters that are, like, getting killed in the dogfight outside are like, whoa, what? It's, like, being destroyed from the outside, uh, inside. Which point, all the droids on Naboo are deactivated. And we cut back to Jar Jar, and he's like, oh, they're going to see And he kicks them, and it's like, they all collapse, and they're like, yeah. We cut back to Maul and Obi-Wan, and Maul, again, is just taunting Obi-Wan as he hangs. But Obi-Wan is able to force jump, get Qui-Gon's lightsaber... And actually, I'm going to bring back this fight in a couple of podcasts because of other lightsaber fights and the circumstances which happen. Okay. But Obi-Wan, who has the lower ground in this fight, I'll just say mm. that, Obi-Wan, who has the lower ground in this fight, is able to force jump over Darth Maul, slicing his torso in half, which then sends Maul plummeting into the into the chasm my problem with this is he doesn't do it while he's flipping which maybe you could get away with he flips lands looks at him slices him and darth maul just lets it all happen (laughs) yeah like there's plenty of time to react and he just does nothing he just lets himself die and this for me is the death i'm more sad about because (laughs) i don't remember at the time being so upset i was like oh really he's not going to be the baddie that you keep bringing back throughout this new trilogy that's so disappointing yeah yeah that's true 
yeah, so more falls to his death, or maybe death. We'll get into that at some point. And Obi-Wan runs to Qui-Gon, and Qui-Gon's dying wish is that Obi-Wan trains Anakin, still believing that he's the <laughs> chosen one who will bring balance to the Force. We do really need to stipulate Yoda has very clearly said you shouldn't train this boy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I know Many that times. he's going to be bad. <laughs> and he looks really yeah. upset. And Obi-Wan... And even Obi-Wan doesn't really that. seem like he wants to. Yeah. yeah. It, needs to, it just needs to be clearly stipulated now, to. moving forward, that everyone has said, no, this is a bad seed. Only Qui-Gon Jinn is wanting yeah. to do it. At this point, the Viceroy is forced back to Coruscant to answer to the Senate. Palpatine arrives, announcing that he has been made the new Chancellor. He has a moment where he meets Anakin and he says, uh, thanks him for... for how he helped for his help and says that he will follow Anakin's growth uh, with great interest. Well, mm. uh, we cut back to Yoda at this point, who still fears the grave danger in training Anakin. And Obi-Wan insists to Yoda that he will train Anakin and keep his promise, regardless of the council's approval. <laughs> and Yoda's just like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, you can see just the Yoda just like, oh, kids. It's just like so just worn yeah. out. It's like, whatever, do what the fuck you want. I don't care. And then we cut, we're still in Naboo, and uh, there's a uh, farewell to Qui-Gon, who's being cremated in front of everyone, who are very close to the, mm. the pyre. Hey, the <laughs> uh, but it's in front of Anakin, Obi-Wan, Palpatine, uh, Yoda, and Mace Windu. And Yoda and Mace Windu have a conversation about the rule of two for the Sith. Um, and this is where it's described and written out to us that there's always the rule of two, a master and apprentice. And so they wonder who was destroyed. And then I think as they say that, it, it pans back onto a yes. very kind of obvious yes, shot of Palpatine. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Literally. As Christina, what it. did you think at this point? <laughs> How because are you not picking up on this, Christina? Out. Unless you've completely tuned out. I just wasn't thinking. <laughs> I was very angry. <laughs> oh, all right, and then we get just a celebration. Uh, yeah, cut to the celebration. Anakin is now dressed as a Padawan with members of the Jedi Council around and they're all celebrating end credits. Just horrible, that end celebration. Just, just really, just horrible. <laughs> There's no other words for it. <laughs> it's so bad and celebration trying to recapture a new hope celebration very depressing oh man the end uh, i'm guessing you both were so enthralled you stuck around till after the end credits no was there a little what easter egg at the end there is an easter egg at the end no i didn't stick around <laughs> before was this an easter egg added to the blu-rays or no i believe this the was there uh, to begin with is you all you get is darth vader's breathing hmm. um is heard at the end of the end credits oh all right uh, so really worth uh. sticking around for i remember people but it's yeah pre-marvel so i don't think people stuck around for the end of credits in those days is this the first one that they had easter eggs or did do all of the movies have little, like, none of the other Star Wars had, hidden things at point had, okay. had, um, yeah that kind of thing all right so a huge fucking movie lots that we unpacked ah. I'm just going to quickly check any other little fun trivia I have before we can give our overall thoughts. Natalie Portman missed the premiere of the movie because she had to go home to study for her high school final exams. No. <laughs> sure. That's what she said. <laughs> she saw it. She saw it. I saw it. I, I saw it. Like, test oh. cut. <laughs> 
Uh, Jake Lloyd also has claimed, although he could be lying, that there's a six-hour cut of the movie that was screened for several people uh, included in the film before the film was released. And he said it was mind-bogglingly good. What? (laughs) Of the film's 133-minute run, only between 10 and 15 minutes of that have no special effects. Um, Incredible. How many minutes, sorry? Of 113 minutes, sorry, over 133 minutes, only 10 to 15 minutes of that have no effects. Jeez. Wow. Yeah, Darth Maul became a huge fan favorite, much like Boba Fett, one that George Lucas didn't see really happening to the level that he did. But he actually only has six minutes of screen time in the entire film. That is it. And this was the very first Star Wars film to not win an Oscar. That's, That's understandable. (laughs) <laughs> yeah these are my facts that I, have. I mean maybe, maybe for if, I, if I or something or sound design or... yeah sound design i have to say is fantastic in this movie very good sound design particularly on that pod race it's been good in all of the movies so far right it has it has yeah so christina you're fresh eyes and ears and brain oh my god how do you god. feel about menace get it all out vent what you need to vent and tell us would you recommend this this was the worst one by far. Well, go so easy. far. <laughs> I mean, the other ones, like, I enjoyed bits and pieces of it, you know, and some of them I enjoyed the whole thing, but this one, oh, it was really hard to watch. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it gets so far, it's on the bottom of the list, guys. I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of Jaja. There's a lot of things. It's just there's no connection, you know, to any of the characters, really. And I think that's kind of what drives me through these movies are the relationships. Because I, you know, I think most of the fans love all the fighting. But for me, you know, I connect more with the relationships of the characters with each other. But uh, yeah, this didn't really have a lot of that. It was it was not a good start to the prequels do you care about the story that they're trying to tell you like you know the birth of Darth Vader and how everything's tying in and all that stuff yeah I did I was excited to um learn about all of that stuff but I just I guess I was expecting a a lot more okay well now you know where to keep your expectations (laughs) so would you recommend it yeah I mean, I don't want to watch it again. So that's a no. <laughs> I thought mean, it's really clearly a no. You've been very down on this all the way through. And we get to the end and you're being down. I hated this one. I hated it. I hated it. But I mean, I guess if you're going to watch them all, you have to watch this well, one. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> you know, it's part of the experience. It's part of the roller coaster. So. But is it a necessary experience? You should watch it. Like, do you need this? Does it I don't know. Anything? That's a thing. Like, I can't tell because I haven't watched... You need to get through the other two before you can The tell. rest okay. of them. But... Okay, yeah. well, we'll come back at the end. I mean, I have... Like, yeah, do you, okay, which yeah, ones yeah, do you yeah, actually yeah, need yeah. to see and which ones don't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but yeah. you hated it. I feel it was a pretty clear non-recommendation. I did, but didn't you guys? Or am I... Doesn't matter, Christina. You gotta, you gotta stick by your guns, lady. I'm just lady. curious. We're hope- I'm hoping that you're going to have some controversial different opinions on these films than me and Alex are going to because it's yeah. fun that way. Um, I was listening actually yeah. to a podcast the other day where they were reviewing all of these. And one of them was a huge lover of these prequels. Like he was, and he's, a, he's in his late 30s and... 
he really loves, he kept standing up for, he used to point out all the dumb things, but he still had just a great time with them, you know? See, I thought I was, I really thought I was going to love the prequels. I mean, but so far, yeah. this one, I really... Natalie Portman's in it, so... Ooh. Yeah, that's why I thought I was going to love it. Actors. And it's kind of the, it's kind of, um, when I think about Star Wars, you know, it's kind of more of my generation is the prequels. That's what you think of. Rather yeah. than, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Alexander Chard. You yes. uh, have returned to the Phantom Menace. Mm. I've noticed. I'm kind of intrigued with both you and me because, like, which way you're going to go? Because I know you don't love it clearly, but would you recommend it to someone? How do you feel coming back to this movie? Um. So just before I jump into that, I also came across a letter that Ron Howard wrote in 1999 to a writer at Newsweek that criticized Jake Lloyd, and he wrote a letter sticking up for him. Oh, nice. Which is really interesting. Yeah. That's nice. Just saying that it was that it was slightly unfair to... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Attack a child in, in such a way. No, we should only attack... Yeah, we that's should horrible. only attack George Lucas. No children should be... Yeah. No, yeah. So, yeah, how do I feel? So, coming into this pretty much directly off the back of watching Return of the Jedi again, I had... I was getting the same sense of anticipation and excitement I had just before it was released theatrically. And I think you and I, I'll exchange a few messages on that and like, oh, wow, we're really excited to watch this film. Like, and it was, it was really interesting. I felt like I was taken back to that place of like, oh, this is a new Star Wars story. And I hadn't watched this one in such a long time. So I was also kind of prepared to give it a bit more... To see it again with fresh eyes, I guess, and to and to see if that time and space had changed my opinions. And because one thing that has certainly changed for me in the last few years, especially since Force Awakens came out, was a greater respect for George Lucas as a director and a writer wanting to see through his vision. Not whether he accomplished that or not, but just the respect of like, this was his story. Yes, the fans wanted it a certain way but he wanted to see it through. So I was trying to come into it with that perspective. And like I said today, I was excited in this sort of opening, probably a little bit more forgiving than you guys, like with the, the Jedi and their first initial introduction. And um, But I very quickly kind of got pulled away from the things that I liked by the things that are just glaringly bad. And that comes from George Lucas, I'm afraid. Like, some of the writing is just very, very poor, and, and some of the directing choices are just uh, aren't very... I don't know if it's not even that they're not confident. It's maybe like that they're, they're too confident. <laughs> you know, it's just like he didn't have anyone in his ear to be like, eh, George, like, scale that back or try something different. And it just feels more glaring to me now. Saying that, though, there were still parts that revisiting that I had a lot of fun seeing again. I still enjoyed seeing the kind of the moments with the Jedi, as moments with the Jedi Council, the the lightsaber fight at the end. I absolutely loved. Like I loved that and Darth Maul's reveal in that scene. Like that I felt I was absolutely transported back to the moment I saw it for the first time. Um so I had fun with it. And and like I also said I, I didn't mind Jake Lloyd and little Anakin so much this time around. Would I recommend it? That is really tricky. That is really, really tricky <laughs> for me to answer. Because I, watching it so close to Jedi and coming off the back of that, 
I loved that sense of connectivity in the universe and seeing a new perspective on the Star Wars galaxy that I hadn't seen. What does it serve? Like, if, if we're looking at the backstory of Anakin, do we really need to go this far back? You know, and I'll probably get into this more as we progress through the prequels and, like, which prequel I think is really all you need in the telling of the story of Anakin hmm. or which parts. And I don't know if this really serves that that storyline. So in that sense, I was like, I would feel like you don't have to see it. You don't need to see this film. It can be put aside. So that's where I think- Is it you don't have to see it or you should not see it? What is it? Yeah, it's not a- I wouldn't go as far as saying you should not see it. <laughs> because I feel like- yeah, I, I think, but but if you want to see it in the, if you want to look at it in the bigger picture of the saga, then you don't have to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Uh, sorry, that's like such a vague. So you don't see basically, you don't think it's required viewing, but it's not like you're, you know, you don't think it's a waste of time either. Basically, yeah, I don't think it's a waste of time. Yeah. I don't think it's a great film, but I don't think it's a waste of time. I'm sure there's bits in it that a new, new audience are going to enjoy. I'm sure there's as as and then for people that are and like yourself, how that are familiar with the the series, there's going to be bits that you enjoy. But it's not great. But but you know, I'd still say watch it. But it's not necessary viewing. Sorry, that really dragged on. No, I was trying to cut it. No, no, no. I like I like seeing your conflict. <laughs> yeah, I feel Do very. Do you let anger take over? Alex and <laughs> but yeah it's um I had another thought but I forgot it so I maybe oh, you can jump back in I'll say I'll say mine you can jump in I yeah I was kind of like you I came back to this film I hadn't seen it in a long time I was kind of excited I was scared as well because I know how much I didn't enjoy those last time I saw them but this was always my favorite out of uh, the prequels um I know for a lot of people they like third one or the second one I never made it through the third one when I was when I first saw these, this was definitely the one that resonated most with me out of them all. Uh, coming to it now, it's okay. So I'm going to say a couple of weird, contradictory, and controversial things. Number one is I think the story is actually great in this. I think that's that what I was going to say. I think this is maybe the best story <laughs> since A New Hope. When you're just talking about it from a practical, technical point of view, there's a great structure here. There's a lot of variety going on here. Uh, you've got you know, you're filling in a backstory that I don't personally care about. I think there's an inherent problem with all prequels. We know who's going to live. We know who's going to die. I can never be worried about Obi-Wan because I know he's going to be there later on in the story. You know, you're never going to be worried about Anakin, C-3PO, R2-D2, all this stuff. I think, and I'm talking about broad sweeps of the story. I think we're joked about it, but the first three really are a droid story. And, that, and a lot of people recognize them, like the key figures of the droids who then introduce you to all these other characters and this the droids are merely there on the sidelines like they're purely there for fan service basically um and it's a problem for me then who we're following i don't care about anybody but the story on a broad sweep i think is great and i know we've talked about this before alex i would love to see a remake of this movie like i think there's a great movie in here to be made uh, with better writing better directing better effects practical mm -hmm. sets all of that stuff and I don't mind the story that's being told in it. I really don't. I'm okay with it. It's not the thing I'm most excited about, but I'm fine with that. There are moments in this movie that I really love. And I mean that, like, sincerely really do love. Um, I really love a lot of the pod race. I do. I think it's a great fun sequence. And it's weird for me, Christina, because I hear what you're saying. Like, you think a lot of people are in Star Wars like all the battle stuff. 
I'm certainly not that way. And I would argue a great thing about Star Wars is that it's the charm and the characters that made it the success it was. You know, it's not the action sequences. Mm. And the action mm-hmm. sequences in the originals aren't great. For sure, they're pretty stilted, particularly the lightsaber battles. In this, it's telling that my favorite things are basically the action sequences and not most of them, but the mm. pod race sequence, I think is great. The lightsaber sequence, I think is phenomenal. And I mean that sincerely. I think it is a fantastic bit of choreography. I think it's a great bit of design with the pacing. Uh, I think Darth Maul's performance is incredibly just his physique and how he handles himself is wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And I'll be amazed if I see a lightsaber battle in the next films, which I prefer to this one, but we'll see. So it's, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of torn as well because on the one hand, I think this is a terrible movie. Like I really do. I think the majority of this is so bad, so dry, so flat. The effects are horrible the characters are just not well drawn out the there's no chemistry with anyone no one seems to be excited as i said at the beginning and i mean no one seems excited and i don't understand i don't understand it's all so po-faced they're so worried about you not figuring out when it's natalie portman when it's kira knightley that every conversation with the queen is dull as shit and she's just so like so flat and you're like well if you're not like that when you're not it, it just and then all the stuff with the chancellor doesn't make any sense to me it's so obvious I think it's a terrible movie with like two or three great moments in it. So I would recommend going on YouTube and watching the great moments and not sitting for two hours and 20 (laughs) minutes to see the rest of the movie. But I do agree with you, Alex. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not a complete waste of time. I think you can watch this and you might get some enjoyment out of elements of it. Am I going to recommend it? I kind of, I want to come back to that at the end. For right now, I'm going to say no. I have a feeling it's going to be the only one out of the three. Like, I have a feeling this is going to be my favorite out of the three prequels again, like it was before, because I've never gone through the third one. And I have memories from from 14 years ago, or whenever it was, 13 years ago, hating the second one. So when... How can the third one be worse than this one? <laughs> so, well, no, but some people think the third one's the best one. And I have a feeling Alex might think the third one's the best one. So we'll, we'll see when we get that in the journey. <laughs> Uh, for right now, I'm going to not recommend it. But yeah, once we get to our wrap up episode, we're really get, we're going to put all these in order, and that's going to my head's already thinking about that. I'm already I I've already had a bit of trouble with the first three putting them in order. Where all of the rest is going to slot in is going to be tough, tough to do. I know my order. Really? Well, we'll see, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> you haven't got the last Jedi in there yet. Oh yeah, that's true. Did you have any more notes, in Alex? Are you good? No, no, it's just going to. Uh, echo what you brought up about the story like i i, I really enjoy the story but just the the execution mm-hmm. is just is poor and I'll, I'll probably echo that throughout most through these prequels is that you know thematically and and narratively what george lucas is trying to do i was really on board with and like the political machina- machinations and manipulation by palpatine and all that and then the jedi stuff and whatever like that i think that could have been told yeah i just don't think it's told very well oh uh, you see so it's i'm going very- i'm going differently from you then because yeah i'm really not on board with that when i'm so for me story i just mean the very broad sweeps of it like the universe yeah, yeah. The building up and the planets that they go to so many interactions for me all of the politics stuff should be thrown out for me like all of that is it's not at all what the original films were about. It was just about a small you know, group of characters and getting into That's their true. interaction. And I'm fine if you want to do something different with it, but then you have to do it really well. You know, this should be, It needs to be the West Wing of space operas then, and this is not. 
that would be amazing. Aaron Sorkin writes, uh, rewrites the prequels. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm all for. Po- I love politics and people just talking about that shit. But this is horrible writing, and I'm not. It's yeah. not what I want from a Star Wars story. I want to see characters with charm and charisma, and just having fun. Sure. And I don't get mm-hmm. that here. Yep. All right. So then. No fun. <laughs> no fun. Uh, and our next episode will actually be going to 2002. So 9 11 will have happened, and that's going to be quite important, I think, actually. Mm. Attack of the Clones. Until then, though, you can head on over to wearegeeks.com, wearegeeks.com. Not twice, just, you know, once. And you can then branch out to all of our podcasts over on iTunes. You can subscribe and share. We do uh, horror podcasts that go up every single Friday. Just had Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is wrapping up right now. We've done Friday 13th and I'm on Elm Street. Me and Alex are about to start on the Child Play series, which is happening. Well, actually, sorry, right now as well. And what else? Yeah, we have a weekly podcast that goes up every single Tuesday, just talking topical things about movies and games. You can also then go out to our Twitch channel and you can learn about our movies that we make because we're a production company called We Are Tessellate, run out of UK, London, and LA. We're just finishing our first feature films right now and you can learn all about that just by going to wearegeeks.com and branching out to different things. Uh, I've been your host. I'm Al White and I'm Mr. Al White on all the social medias and on the Xboxes. Alexander Chard. Yeah, I don't have social media. <laughs> he doesn't want to talk to you, so fuck you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alexander Chad. And Christina. Hi. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore hi Christina. So H I. H I. Hi Christina. Christina. Hi Christina. You have a good Instagram, lots of cool photos. Your Insta stories, mostly birthday parties. That's what I've learned <laughs> recently. <laughs> uh, so if you like there's a lot of birthdays right now or i know a lot of yeah you know too many people yeah. i think that's the thing i didn't even post any all of them you know i'm, I'm very glad because i don't know why i'm drawn to about three people's insta stories and yours are one of them and every time i do i'm like for fuck's sake <laughs> too many cool people having birthday parties we'll be back in a few days time with our next episode until then we're out